0: Dropping that coast. 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 Dropping that
1: coast.
0: Dropping that coast.
1: Dropping that coast.
0: Dropping that coast. Dropping that
1: coast. And welcome to another edition of Dropping that Culture with Jenny and AJ. i AJ. I'm AJ. Alright, guys, we've been actually been gone for a minute, you know life gets in the way, as y'all know, going on during this whole quarantine thing. Our buddy here, AJ, was actually away uh, uh, in the, was was the... Yeah, playing golf. He was playing golf. Yeah, he was off. And I, I was standing here, just sitting here watching, like, fucking shitty uh, 80s action movies on fucking, like, Tubi. Dude, I discovered Tubi. Love this shit, dude. It's like all the shit from, like, the... It used to come on, like, fucking Cinemax and HBO, the really shitty action movies. I love it. <laughs> a lot of, lot of, uh, a lot, lot, of Mark DeCascos, lot of, uh, Van Dam, lot of, uh, lot of Steve Seagal in the later years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So now, the early Steve Seagal, she is dope. Same thing with Van Dam. Some of the shit recently, but you know what? I take that back. Van Dam came out with a movie called, uh, unfortunately, called The Bouncer. Um, but it's a really good movie. Uh, fucking, he plays like this hitman. He plays like this bouncer who gets caught up in this whole situation. He gets set up, uh, by like the Russian mob or some shit like that. But like, it's really good because he's like a father and still has to kick ass and shit. And it's it sounds like a typical Van Damme movie, but you actually watch watching the execution of it is actually much better. So yeah. check it out, The Bouncer, if you get a chance. But that also means I got to change the name. What, of what you, do you remember? What year that one was? I feel like I've seen that. 2012. Like I think it was yeah.
2: very recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. if I remember right, I think that's the one that um, I was accidentally invited to the premiere. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, yeah, sure, fine. So, like, I would confirmed that I was going to go. And then I got a got an email, like, ten minutes later from, like, after I made the confirmation saying, oh, no, sorry, there's somebody else. Oh, that's fucked up. We were gonna do, if I remember right, that's the one they were doing over at Fox uh, on the Fox lot. That was hilarious. Like,
1: what? Well, what happens? Well, I'm already here, so... <laughs> She told me that before I got involved about when bought the suit. Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, maybe before I made a date and all this crap for the night, maybe I had someone so I was going stag. Come on, man. I bought the suit. <laughs> I'm already here, man. I'm like halfway there. I've been sitting in LA traffic for like the last two hours just to get to this. Will shit. you at least validate you know I me? Mean? <laughs> yeah, hell, man. Yeah, please. Can I, at least, go to, yeah, can I at least go to the after party? Uh yeah. I think somebody's uh, assistant got in trouble on that one. Asshole. I you, I'm happy you got in trouble. Fucking on me going to see a goddamn Bam Bam movie. Yes. Fuck you. <laughs> got my hopes up. What's that shit from a uh, uh fucking uh Deuce Bigelow, the big the jab jabbish. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, you made a mistake, Mr. no mistake. I see you got me all excited. Exactly, exactly. You <laughs> got me all excited. <laughs> uh, but like, enough of the little reverie right now. Let's go ahead and get into the show. Uh, like I said, we miss you guys, man. We've both been busy with life, but you know, saying we're send back here. And our subject this evening will be one of our favorite actors, mutually, both of us, Mr. Sylvester Stallone. And like I said, if you're a fan of his movies, as much as a fan as we are, you'll really enjoy this uh, podcast, because like I said, we have been together in a minute, and also we love the subject matter. So let's go ahead and get started with our regular segments. Uh, first off, seven so of Eddie Murphy, uh, where I can name, uh, look at his nose, but where I can name, uh, uh, pretty much connect any major American film star to the great Eddie Murphy, off of sheer memory. Uh, if I have to look anything up, I will say on, I will say on air, I'll have to look it up. But majority of times, I really haven't had to. But uh, old, uh, old AJ there is always thinking of something to kind of trip my ass up. I uh, just wonder what he's going to get for me tonight. So what you got for me tonight? First one on my list, it wouldn't be that hard.
3: one we'll warm you up. Pam Greer.
1: Well, it's super easy. They're in Pluto and Nash together. I
2: thought you be hard. I was trying to warm
1: you up. <laughs> yeah, uh, Pluto and Nash. <laughs> yeah,
3: right. It was easy. And we'll get you going a little more about Mr. John Wayne? Ah, got it.
1: John Wayne was in True Grit with Kim Darby. Kim Darby was in Teen Wolf 2 with Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman was in Horrible Bosses with Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx was in Dreamgirls. As So as you said John Wayne, because I just saw True Grit the other day. <laughs> I, think on, I think it's on Netflix I think it's on Netflix. I'm gonna do a deep cut. I think you might be able to
3: get there. We want to go deep. Okay. Clark Gable. Clark Gable? No, 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 no. I think I, I think I got it. two
1: No. No, actually, no. Okay, here we go. All right, I, I got it. Okay. So,
3: I want to go this round.
1: Ah. Okay, okay. All right, so Clark Gable was in Gone with the Wind with George Reeves. George Reeves was in. Superman and the Mole Men
3: <laughs> with, uh, fuck you, Ugh, I don't want to get around, I, I've already, i am already gone down the rabbit hole, okay, I'm already down the rabbit hole, mm. fuck you, don't do that, don't do that, I, I don't know, I'm free. Yep. Yeah. Hold on. It's Superman. Yeah, yeah, Clark, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I told you I was gonna start too easy with them. Mm. Wait. No, I'm, I'm really going through
1: like the roller disc right now. Like
3: <laughs>
1: Ah fuck yeah, found it. Okay. Okay. Let's redirect a little bit, but I'm still going with the same first two. Clark Gable was in uh, *Gone with the Wind* with George Reeves. George Reeves was in *From Here to Eternity* with uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra was in okay. ah yeah. Frank Sinatra was in *The Detective* with Lloyd Buckner. Lloyd Buckner was in. The Naked Gun, two, two and a half. Yeah, Smell of Fear with Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen was.
3: It's a Naked Gun. You should be able to make that jump. Can always back up. I can get you that quicker. Oh, I lost your audio. Can't hear you, man. <laughs> oh, no. Hold on, man. Let's see. What are you doing? Try it again. Why is it saying you're muted? This is weird. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Nah, I lost you.
2: All right, we're going to have to push pause for a second, folks. We'll come back around here in just a minute. All right, so we're okay. back live after a technical issue when you seem to be having difficulty four deep in trying to make the connection between Clark Gable and Eddie Murphy. Okay, uh,
1: ladies and gentlemen, I just want to make sure this is perfectly clear. The technical issue that we just had is legitimate. I was not panicking I was doing my very best to get to that but there's some bullshit happening on my computer mm-hmm. uh which I'm gonna have to figure out mm-hmm. but since we're going that route I'm gonna go ahead and see if I can finish this
4: motherfucker off now uh, what was I I can get you there if you if you no 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 no, 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 no. I
1: want to I want to get that myself all
4: right
1: Clark Gable gone familiar with George Reeves George Reeves. Was in From Here to Eternity with Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra was in The Detective with Lloyd Buckner. Lloyd Buckner was in Nicky Gun 22 and a half, two and a half or whatever, with uh, Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen was in Creep Show with, excuse me, uh, Creep Show with Ted Danson. Ted Danson was in. Made in America with Nia Long. Nia Long was in, I mean, how I many is mean, it? I six. Nia Long was in Big Mama's House with Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence was in Life with Eddie Murphy. Okay. That's it. That's enough, enough. You want me, want me to back you up help you get
3: there? Go for it. From here to eternity, not with Frank Sinatra, with Fatso Jetson.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Fatso Jetson, that's the character name. I'm blanking on the actor's name. You remember what I'm talking about? Big dude. He's the guy who's like, he's going to beat up Frank Sinatra. I've
1: got the actor's name.
2: Huh? i got to look it up. Anyway, so he was, he was in that. Then he was in Reds. With uh um, with Bruce Willis, Bruce
3: Willis yeah. Cop out. You finish it.
1: Cop oh, out. Oh, Tracy Morgan. Yeah, Tracy Morgan, and then he was in. Okay, he was with uh. Chris, he. I can go. Chris Rock. isn't Chris Rock the here to stay, and Chris Rock was in Boomerang. So there you go. i'm trying to think of the? What i trying to think of the fat dude name? I like. I'm the, the characters. On the Jensen. I'm totally blanking on the act. Okay, so you know what? I'm going to go ahead and concede because I had to go through all this just to get to the answer. I will concede on this one. So, so I will concede. <laughs> so, so far, the two ones that really stumped me, Mandy Moore and fucking Clark Gable, okay? Honestly, I think you have a perfectly legitimate excuse for Mandy Moore,
2: but Clark Gable, I mean, we're talking Hollywood royalty here. I know, I know. I, like I said, the main thing I really know him from is Gone with the Wind. That's the main thing everybody knows him from. To be honest, um, I would defy anybody without looking it up who's not like a film studies major to be able to list anything other than Gone with the Wind. I can't. True.
1: Not without looking yeah. it up. Yeah, without looking it up, yeah. All right, so there's a three. You got me. So was... All right. I'm, doing, I'm not doing too bad. I've I managed to stump you twice. Okay, cool. That's what's up. All right, now moving on, because this really upsets me. All right, so now we're going to move on to our next segment, which is uh, WWBS, or Busey say. So, which I do an improvised rant as Gary Busey. So what is uh, Gary ranting about this week? Decided to go with a slightly more specific
2: setup. So the concept is spider monkeys. Nature's clown or nefarious evil entity.
1: Spider monkeys, what do I think about spider monkeys? Nature's Clown or Carnivorous Manning, whatever the fuck you said. I'm thinking more of the carnivorous part. You ever
3: see that movie Outbreak? Spider monkey. Oh no. Oh no.
2: Wait, right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We lost you again. Gary. Gary. We lost Gary. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we're having a problem here with, uh, with the Zoom tonight. I'm sorry, folks. I'm going to put you on pause one more time. We will get Gary Busey back. Hold on. We'll
4: All
3: right. Gary Busey discussing his
4: feelings on Spider-Man. Thanks for hanging with us, folks. Mm-hmm. All right. I um, like how I say about Spider-Man.
1: Spider monkeys are fucking weird, man. Like I said, spider monkeys can start the fucking apocalypse if they want to. Spider monkeys are non nature's friends. Spider monkeys are goddamn evil. Spider monkeys are also kind of cool. Now, when I say that, I mean, I mean they're so little, it's so lovable. If you're a kind of sick individual like myself, you can really use them again
4: to
3: a lot of weird places. Maybe infect your enemies. They can be useful. I think spider monkeys, overall, i say i give them a pass on certain things. They're evil, but they're also kind of fun. You know, put a couple spider monkeys at a party, throwing some booze, maybe some arbiturates, get us a party.
4: Oh,
1: yeah. And you'd be like, hey, man, remember one time we was at that party, and these two spider monkeys were fucking like Yeah, yeah, I was there, yeah.
4: Yeah,
3: it was, was great. Yeah, you always remember that. Making memories, man. Making
2: memories. Ah. Of blood. I don't know. I think we threw off your flow a little bit, but it's still, uh still insane
4: as usual. Fucking insanity with these goddamn computers, man. Fucking, we'll make it work.
2: Well, one of these days we're gonna have to look at monetizing some of this here, so we can get you some better equipment. Especially if we end up dragging this COVID shit out for much longer. It would fucking
1: help. It really would. Jesus. All right, so let's go and knock that out. All right, so let's
4: see if I can lighten
1: the show. So, uh, another new segment that we have here on the show Roger Reed's Rap, where I read rap selections in the voice of uh, the late Sir Roger.
4: And uh, I think I found a good one for tonight. Sir Roger, Me So Horny" by 2 loud i so let me get the
1: lyrics ready, we get right into this. I, don't need that. I miss Sir Roger, man. Mr. Sir Roger really, you know, makes my day. You know what I'm saying, yeah. I mean, I miss the I miss the real Sir Roger too.
3: The fucking Sir Roger was on some. All right, Oh, here we go. <clears throat> This is Rosa Moore, reading the selection, Me So Horny, by two live people.
1: Ah, me so horny. Ah, me so horny. Ah, me so horny. We love you long time. Sitting at home with my dick all hard. So I got the black book to a freak to call. I picked up the telephone, then dialed seven digits, said, yo, this Marquise baby, are you down with it? I arrived at a home, knocked on the door, having no idea what night had in store. I'm like a dog in heat, a freak thought warning,
4: I have an appetite for sex, So horny.
1: Ah, me so horny. Ah me so horny. Ah me so horny. We
3: love you long time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's quite wonderful.
1: All right, so let's go ahead and knock out the next segment. uh, Dropping that news, Uh, you know, fuck it, let's do the. uh,
3: Dropping that news.
1: All right, cool. Uh, There really isn't much news in terms of entertainment right now. Uh, The only real thing that I posted today was, uh, well, it's two things actually. One, uh, Timothy Olyphant is joining The Mandalorian. For season two, which I think is cool. I'm, I'm, I always like Tim, Tim Bill. I think he's a great character. I'm interested to see who he plays. And also, uh, the show I've been writing about for weeks now, uh, Dark Side of the Range has got approved for season three. Uh, this past, I think, past week or whatever, they did a great uh, season finale with Owen Hart, and you finally got to see Owen Hart's family side of the whole get down, particularly his wife and children. And for years and years, was wondering why Owen Hart is not in the WWE Hall of Fame, why Owen Hart is not mentioned. And it's mainly out of the express purpose of the wife, uh, uh, his wife Martha, who wants nothing whatsoever to do with the WWE after her husband, for a reason. And uh, she, she, she thinks uh, she actually opened up a foundation, like a, a non-for-profit foundation up in other people's and families in Owen's name. and She thought that was a better tribute to Owen than anything the WWE has to offer. And also, she accepted Owen being in other Hall of Fames other than the WWE one, so she really wants nothing to do whatsoever with WWE. And the children also want nothing to do with the because, fact, they lost a father out of that shit. So. And, uh, well, I'd say it's a really good season finale. I'm really interested to see what stories to bring up in season three. Like I tell everybody, it's a really good in show If uh, you're a fan, check it out. Dark Side of the Ring on Zoom. I'm mean, sorry, on uh, Vice. Uh, but yeah, really good show. What's up? Uh,
3: we, we need to hold on for, for a a
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, So I guess the, uh,
2: the only two other things we'll throw in uh, today, obviously, I think most people have already heard, um, on the entertainment front, probably the single biggest deal out there right now is Joe Rogan's deal with Spotify. Um, so starting September, he's going to have the podcast available on Spotify, I believe by January 1. Um, the full-length episodes of the podcast will only be available on Spotify. They'll still have the JRE clips on YouTube, but otherwise, all the other platforms, from what I understand, Spotify's got the exclusive. And uh, in case people want if you know, podcasts are worth much anything, hundred million dollars uh for that exclusive so that's pretty insane um for us in uh, most of our pop culture discussions the other piece of news we're going to look at right now um as far as los angeles is concerned um last note we got we're shut down for production until at least july 4th um what i'm hearing from a lot of people in the business most people aren't looking to be back to work really till august september probably more likely september Um, but Mm -hmm. We'll see. I mean, you know, Atlanta's open. They're rocking and rolling. International production is back up, um, but Los Angeles is still dragging. Its feet, and to be honest, I have no idea where New York is in the process. But um, I'll be surprised if they get ahead of of uh, L.A. on it. So uh, it's going to be a minute. So people are going to keep burning through the content libraries, and uh, hopefully, that's going to mean there's going to be a lot of new shows greenlit and a lot of original content coming out uh, in the next six months to a year.
1: Cool. I uh, know the Marvel shows are restarting uh,
4: pretty soon, so that should be cool.
3: Just want to
1: sure I'm coming through clearly. Good.
3: Uh, still, still a All right.
1: Bit. So, uh, like, I still
4: what?
2: Yeah, it's garbling up again.
4: Shit, man. Uh. Uh, God <laughs> damn
2: it.
3: Let's,
2: let's see if we can. Let's see if we can work some. We're gonna hold on one more time. Thanks for hanging with us.
3: All
1: right, fuck I think, you, yeah, fuck COVID, man. Fuck this shit. It's fucking with my computer
2: now. Dude, if we were there in person, we'd be good to go, but...
1: Yeah, man. Fuck this bullshit, man. I'm sick of this shit.
2: Yeah, but you know what? This proves for us, well, as we look at the numbers, uh, exactly where our, uh, our long-time listeners, fans, committed folks are, because... Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, they stick with this shit. Oh, my God. We appreciate it. We really do. Yeah, well, actually, we really do. Like I said, I apologize, folks. It's just technical difficulties, mainly on my end. AJ is fine, like always. It's always my shit. I went to I school. The, I should yeah. be
2: okay with whatever computer I'm working with, right? <laughs> yeah. so it's always the black man shit to get the fuck up. Okay, okay. Well, well I was just more yeah. making a joke about the uh, ridiculous student loans I've still got to pay off. I mean, at least they should have taught me
1: something, but you know, either way. I don't give a damn. I'm fucking <laughs> My shit is fucking up. Yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> All right, so that, that, was, that was dropping that news, man. Da, 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 da. Dropping that news. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this shit, man. Like, hopefully, talking about Stallone lines up my goddamn attitude. Sorry, folks. <laughs> just, it, this shit is just really frustrating, bro. But uh, let's go ahead and get into what we came here to talk about tonight. Mr. Sylvester Stallone, who is a huge. Uh, idol to me and to millions of people around the world. And also, like I said, we are both fans of Mr. Stallone's work. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get into like his uh, biography and all that good stuff. Now, Mr. Stallone was actually born on uh, July 6, 1946 in, in New York. Uh, his real birth name is actually Michael Sylvester Gardenzio Stallone. That's his full name. <laughs> and uh i love i love the whole, the whole that's real that's a very italian name right there buddy oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> uh so apparently yeah uh he's he's born to his uh his parents were his father yeah uh frank salone senior was a beautician and hairdresser his mother Jackie Stallone (laughs) was an astrologer, and uh, eventually she got into uh, wrestling a little bit later. She's always into Gonzo shit, uh, Jackie Stallone. Uh, So uh, he's actually, uh, his father's actually an Italian immigrant. His mother is half French and half German. Um, But come find out that uh, uh, after she gave birth to Sly Sly Stallone, uh, she found out, she actually wanted to name him, um, it was something else. Yeah, uh, she was a uh, yeah. She, I think she's a big fan of a, a Western star. She wanted to name him something else, uh, like Angelo Salone or something like that. I
4: was gonna but, say back to yeah. Westerns in the '40s. I mean, it's, it's not a not a very big.
2: I mean, I guess it depends how deep cut she was, but to say it wasn't that many stars to, to choose
1: from. Yeah, but she really uh, she wanted to name him something else. But uh, what kind of found out is uh after Sly was born, she came out of it or whatever. Uh, the dad put in the name of Michael Cardenzo Salon without her knowing. That was pretty much what I was. Um, but yeah, like I said, he was actually born in different uh, parts of, uh, mainly in New York. He actually went to different high schools uh, throughout his early life because of the fact he had a uh, <laughs> he had a uh, behavior problem. He was a kind of a bully. Uh, he got into a lot of fights, got into a lot of scraps, and he had actually got expelled from several schools. And funny enough, the, uh, the famous Sylvester Stallone snarl in the lip, you go, hey, yo, all that shit. That was actually come from uh, complications during his birth. Uh, they used forceps uh, to get him out, and that resulted in paralysis of his lower left side of his face, oh. which attributes in the
4: slur and speech that he has. So, yeah.
3: So, yeah so, it
4: wasn't... Whenever anybody does an
2: impression, they're mocking a disability.
1: Basically. That's exactly, what, that's exactly what it is. I hope you fuckers feel better now, like even though I do it, too. But, like, still. Uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying? That's just me. Uh, you know what? It is an iconic thing that he turned
2: and used to make himself an absolute movie star and millionaire many times. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? Kudos to him. And you know what? People are... Imitation is uh, one of the biggest forms of flattery, right? So...
1: So yeah, they actually do appreciate Stallone in a way. So, yeah. yeah. Now, like, like I said, he actually has a brother, Frank Stallone.
3: <laughs> I love Frank. Have you ever
2: watched him on uh, on those like I can't believe I caught it on tape things we do? No,
1: but uh, actually, funny enough, I listened to some of his music.
2: Dude, I've watched him. He was he's been on. He's not. They used to remember. They used to run um, on like like I don't know like AMC or whatever way back. Yeah, they'd run those um, world's craziest, world's deadliest TV, TV shows, and they'd show some crazy, like, it was before the internet, really, so they'd show those crazy clips of some crazy crap happening, and then they'd have all of these, like, C&D-less celebrities on there. Like, so they'd have, like, Frank Stallone, or they'd have, like, Tanya. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, like, True TV, right? Yeah, yeah, like, True TV. Tanya Harding and Frank Stallone were, like, two of the staples.
4: <laughs>
1: yeah. And uh all right, so yeah, like I said, we mentioned Frank Salone. Frank Salone's music though, I like he actually uh he did the uh, the shit most of the shit from the Staying Alive, the Don Travolta movie from the uh, 80s 'cause cause Sylvester actually directed that movie. But he does the soundtrack for that movie and then he does that, you know, that da 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 that song from the eighties. That's Frank Stallone. No, but I mean the movie *Staying Alive*. I don't think I know that movie. It's basically a sequel to uh, *Saturday Night Fever*. Basically, has uh, Tony Manero living in Manhattan, trying to make it as a dancer on Broadway. <laughs> and they got Frank to direct it. No, Frank is Frank does the soundtrack. Sylvester directed. Okay. So
2: oh, I didn't exactly. realize that Sylvester directed that. All right, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, he directed Stan. Actually, funny enough, there's a scene where he kind of recreate the whole, you know uh staying alive in the uh, Saturday night people walking scene or whatever and then at one point he bumps into Stallone. <laughs> and so- this is er- and this is early 80s uh bearded Nighthawks Stallone. <laughs> 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 he
2: definitely
1: had an interesting look going with that beard for a minute. Yeah man so fucking but yeah he directed that movie man. So uh but uh going back to uh Mr. Stallone's uh, early life, uh, he was baptized Catholic. His folks moved to Washington D.C. in the early 50s, uh, more or less to open a, a beauty school. His mom actually had a women's gym called Barbellas, started in 1954. He actually attended several different schools, including the uh, uh, Notre Dame Academy and Lincoln High School in Philly, as well as uh, the Charlotte Hill M- Military Academy before attending Miami Dade College and the University of Miami. Now. This shows how fucked up he was in high school. They actually voted him most likely to get the electric chair. That's fucked up. And instead it goes to
4: AFI.
1: Yeah.
2: I guess, right?
1: Yeah, basically. Yeah. Now, in terms of friends and family and all that good stuff, Mrs. Sloan has been married three times. Uh, first marriage was to Sasha Zach, who was the Mother of his uh, first two children, two boys, Uh, both the boys, uh, Sage and Sergio. Uh, Sergio actually had as has has autism. Sage has actually been in a couple movies with Sylvester. Most notably, he was he played uh, Rocky Junior in Rocky Five. That's Sage Stallone. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but unfortunately, Sage passed away in two thousand twelve due to uh, drug use. uh, Unfortunately. Yeah, and then uh, after that, uh, actually, you can see uh, Sasha Zach in one of the Rockies, too. Uh, in uh, Rocky 3, there's a scene where he's, like, training in, like, a little uh, little area or whatever where he's, like, kind of late. He's he's being lazy and, like, training in public eye. Uh, at one point, he's, like, riding a bike, and a girl asks for a kiss. The girl is Sasha Zach. That's his wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Adrian looks all jealous or whatever. Yeah, that girl is
3: like, oh, yeah, can I
1: get a kiss, Rocky? That's Sasha Zach. Now his uh, second wife, more publicly known, was Brigitte Nielsen. They were married for only like two years, eighty-five to eighty-seven. Uh, they actually met, yeah, they actually met on the set of uh, Rocky Four while well, making Rocky Four, and then eventually they got married. Uh, Brigitte was a, you know, they were they were two wild card, you know, people, both of them kind of alpha personalities. Of so course, they did not get along. She said several times that she he was
4: a horrible husband. You
1: know, put him out uh yeah but she was she was <laughs> no flower herself um and, and like i said uh, actually i had a buddy that used to like uh we actually have a mutual buddy uh mitch who apparently used to do like security and stuff back in the 80s and he mm-hmm. went up to salon's house a couple times and he would see um Brigitte naked as a jaybird just walking around the house so
3: yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there's
2: not uh yeah,
1: there's not a lot you can say that's gonna surprise me anymore. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, more or less uh, that that didn't last long. And his his current marriage to uh, Jennifer Flavin has actually been they've been together since like '92. Uh, but at one point he actually broke up with her by a Dear John letter. But they have three daughters together: uh, Sophia sixteen and that's the last one. Uh, Sophia sixteen and there's one more. Of her. All of them have the S Yeah, Sophia's sixteen and Scarlett. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, the girls are actually starting to get into the business too. Uh, one of them, sixteen, was actually in that movie, the uh, Fifty Eight, uh, the Shark movie, the Fifty Eight something down, something like that. Uh, I think I know that one. Yeah, but it was like she was in just recently the Shark movie with. Actually, she was in the Shark movie with Jamie Foxx's daughter, Corinne, uh, Corinne Bishop. So they were in the movies together. Uh, and, uh, so she, she into acting, um, the other daughters or whatever, they're just kind of chilling, whatever. I, I believe at one point they do like a, a thing for the Golden Globes so they have like Miss Golden Globe. Uh, all three of the girls were Miss Golden Globe one year.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So that was, this is actually pretty recent, like within the last few years. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, it was good for them. <laughs> exactly. So. He also has a half sister named Tony uh, Dialto. She actually passed away as well. She passed around. She actually passed away around the same time as uh, his
4: son. So it was like very close, Uh, very sad time.
1: Uh, Now, yeah, now uh, we got we got that part out. Let's go ahead and get into Mr. Stallone's career. Now, while he was actually in Switzerland, uh, he actually has a his very first role in a movie is actually as an uncredited restaurant customer in the movie uh, Downhill Racer. Robert Redford. Uh, His very first star role, unfortunately, was in a softcore porn film called Party of Kitty and Studs uh, that was made in 1970.
3: Uh, We just have
1: to
2: say, in in the uh, annals of pop culture, that film and him having been in it is legendary. So much so that even recently, what was that? uh, Have you seen that that cartoon, uh, Big Mouth, on Netflix? Yeah.
1: I know of it, yeah.
2: So, that revolves around that porno
1: that he made in the <laughs> Yeah, uh, so he was paid $200 for two days' work. Uh, he basically said he did the movie out of sheer desperation of being a starving actor. He was, like, close to being evicted from his apartment. He was finding himself homeless for several days, so he just needed, you know, needed the money. He also apparently spent three weeks at the Port Authority bus terminal in New York. Prior to getting cast for the movie, so he needed. The, he said he's, like, he's, he's either do this movie or rob somebody. He said like, that was it because he was at the very end of his rope. And crazy enough, they actually re-released the movie years later as the Italian Stallion to cash in on you know the uh, the fame from Rocky, uh, which is really fucked up. But yeah, what well,
2: what's worth noting in terms of Hollywood and uh, the way people very often get used. Um, it's it's very similar uh, to the story that happened to Marilyn Monroe, right? So she's a starving actress, uh, she's nobody, nobody cares about her. She does those uh, naked photos um, mm-hmm. back when, and then all of a sudden she's the new starlet. Stuff starts going well for her, and what happens? Hugh Hefner decides to launch Playboy magazine with photos of her that he paid the photographer. Was it something something of Hollywood? I can't remember the guy's name, but he always called himself of Hollywood. Uh, mm-hmm these pictures sitting around for a while and it happens over and over and over again so you know uh, to any starving artists out there um, just bear in mind especially when you sign those releases uh, it's entirely possible something's going to come back around and if you finally do see yourself making uh, that that Hollywood dream come true uh, that shit's going to come back to bite you in the ass and someone's going to make some money on you uh, by releasing things you wish would stay dead and buried
1: true that is very true. Uh, now, as far as uh, some of the other things that Mr. Stallone did when he was uh, hard up, um, one of the movies that he did, like uh, more or less to get some bills in, uh, was a movie called Lords of Flatbush. Uh, it was like one of those like greaser type movies or whatever. And actually, his co-star in that movie was Henry Winkler, The Fonz. And Henry Winkler has go- gone on record as saying that most of the Fonz's personality, he got from Stallone in that Flavish.
2: I mean, it makes sense, especially if you look at, at kind of how Stallone is off camera, if you get to see him in his interviews or whatever. A lot of that's very similar. And, it, and it's that New
1: York, East Coast side of things that still so has, a- has in it. So as opposed to going, yo, you know, you know, Winkler with A. Hey, so, yeah, it worked out. Well, he had to make it his own yeah uh, so yeah he did that stuff, but also he was still a struggling actor. He shared an apartment with his girlfriend, Sasha Zach, at the time. She was supporting both of them as a waitress. Uh, he had a couple of odd jobs at the time. He was a cleaner at the zoo, he was a ticket usher, but he got caught uh, scalping tickets, and he was fired. Uh, he would uh bathe with his clothes on, and he persisted going on auditions, but he wasn't really going anywhere. Uh, one particular day, he also was on the verge. Of getting I, I think he said one of his biggest personal disappointments at that time was he didn't uh he couldn't earn a spot as an Italian extra in The Godfather. Hmm. And and he couldn't understand it to this day why he wasn't picked. You know, he's hardcore Italian. So but he just couldn't get it. Well it? I think it was
2: an entourage. There's this this episode, one of the early seasons where uh the, the Vince character's trying to get this gig for I don't even remember the name of the movie in the show, but it's basically about a guy from New York, a guy from Queens. He's like, but I am a guy from Queens. And the producer looks at him and says, yeah, but you know, sometimes even reality can seem fake, right? Like you don't sure. see a guy from Queens. Like that, that's kind of the problem. Like he's, he's almost too Italian sometimes where like it almost comes across like a bad actor's portrayal, right? Especially you got to think 70s TV and movies the way they portrayed Italians, right? Like mm-hmm. this is before Andrew Dice Clay, right? And I'm not saying... But I mean that, that whole East Coast like over the top kind of thing. It's just yeah. be a little bit much.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, some of the other movies that he had bit parts in, uh, he has an uncredited. He had, actually I didn't realize this. He has an uncredited appearance in *Mash*. Uh, he's in the movie *Pigeons*. He's in Woody Allen's *Bananas*. The movie and the TV show. You mean the movie *Mash*, right? The movie. The movie *Mash*. Yeah. 1970. Uh, he's a, he's a subway foot. Th- uh, he's a, no, he's an extra dancing in the movie Clute. Uh, and also, uh, I actually looked this up too. He's in the mo- the Jack Lemmon movie, the prisoner of the second Avenue. Okay. Yeah. Actually there's a part where Jack Lemmon chases him down and beats up Sloane. All right. Yeah. exactly. All, All right. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, two movies that I have seen of him earlier, uh, uh, Farewell, My Lovely, which is actually a detective movie with uh, Robert Meacham as Philip Marlowe, and uh, the other movie was uh, Death Race Two Thousand, the original. That was uh, fun to get to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was in Death Race Two Thousand uh, with uh, with character. David Carradine.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. well, he's a supporting character, but he has a pretty sizable role in that. That's a, you know if anybody if anybody's seen Death Race uh, what was that two thousand and seven I think two thousand and eight.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's one of those occasions where the remake really was decent compared to the original because this is, if you've never seen Death Race 2000, it's this weird dystopian film, but it's got that heavy, like 1970s sensibility to it and the way that they look at a dystopian future. The yeah. uh, yeah. weird and fucked up, um, so it's cerebral. And I mean, I guess if you're into drugs, you could probably have an even crazier time than, than I did with it, but. Um, it's weird and it's wacky and Stallone uh, doesn't I mean because the one thing I always gets hammered on right it's usually like overacting that's what people usually say about like Rambo or Rocky or some of this stuff he didn't overdo it I mean he plays a stummy character
3: and he doesn't to
1: yeah and uh, also uh, fun fact going to one of our previous shows uh, in Death Race 2000 uh, one of the people he kills Stallone kills is John Landis John Landis was the extra in that movie. Gets killed by some of us, you know. Yeah, you know, Frankenstein. A Hollywood, gra- a Hollywood grand.
2: <laughs> well, I was just thinking about about Frankenstein. I so just the people who don't know. So the idea of this death race versus the reincarnation. So the two thousand seven, two thousand eight version. The idea is that the this, this most popular sport, it's a pay per view sport that Americans watch or people around the world watch, and they basically have these prisoners that are running this race and, uh, they've, they're, they've got these cars, they've, these cars and trucks they've souped up and put all kinds of stuff on. And, you know, if you win the race so, so many times, you'll be released from prison. But uh, the thing of it is, you know, the convicts the people you're racing against, they're all trying to kill you and you're trying to kill each other while you're racing. The original, the death race, 2000, the idea is uh, stuff's gone so wrong in the world that there's this new elite that are essentially running the world. And, um, most popular thing they do is it's of like a twist on like the old gladiator thing they have these racers that run a race across america and along the way there's different points for different people they kill so they get points they kill the other racers but in the meantime there's a certain number of points they run over anyone between the ages of like 17 and 55 there's extra points if they run over children like super high points if they run over the elderly and so, like, they'll literally, like, have people pushing the elderly out in wheelchairs for them to hit and the Anything that makes Frankenstein, this great anti-hero, racing against Stallone, is he'll swerve to avoid hitting the old folks, but he'll hit the people who push the old folks out to death. You know, the worth less points. It's this really weird, crazy, dystopian story that's, I mean, it's got a lot of 1970s sensibility in the way that it tells the story, and... You don't get the kind of
3: resolution
1: you probably like at the end. But um, yeah, all I'm gonna say is
2: cocaine is a hell of a drug. That's exactly, It's exactly right. That's the easiest way to describe that.
1: What is that Co- like. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Now let's go ahead and get into the nitty gritty. Now, while he was doing all these crazy movies and shit, on March 24th, 1975, Stallone went to a local bar and watched the Muhammad Ali versus Chuck Wepner fight. Now that night. Stallone was so inspired by the fight, which had Chuck Weppner knock down Muhammad Ali, one of the few times in his career that Muhammad Ali had ever been knocked down. Uh, he went home, and after three days, and apparently 20 straight hours straight, he wrote a script for a movie that would change his life Rocky. Now, when he got this script, he was like, uh, you know, I say he's an extra, he was uh, at the studios a lot, particularly the studios at MGM. Uh, He tried to sell the script himself to multiple studios with the intention of himself being the lead role, and eventually he got the attention of uh, two producers, Erwin Winkler and Robert Chartoff. They became interested, and they actually offered Stallone $350,000 for the rights to do the movie, but they actually had their own ideas in terms of casting. They wanted somebody bigger like a Robert Redford or Burt Reynolds. Stallone stuck to his fucking guns and said, you know what? No, I'm not going to sell the script unless I am the lead character. And, wow, eventually, apparently they they kept offering him more and more money to say, no, just give it up. Give it to us. Like, no, no, it has to be done, and it has to be me. So he took a substantial pay cut to compromise, and it was agreed that he would be the star. You
3: know what I'm saying? Before before
1: we
2: cruise past that, though, there's there's an interesting anecdote that's out there. Do you want want to tell it
1: about him and his dog? Oh, uh, Buckus? Oh, yeah. So, uh... The dog, Bleckius, like, he had a dog in the little apartment he had or wherever, and uh, he actually had to sell the dog because he was so grown. It was a great dad, if I remember right. Something like that. You know, the dad of a was, was a really big fucking dog, and uh, he couldn't afford to feed it, so he had to sell it. And... uh because so yeah. I think we'll gloss over
2: because it's actually pretty pretty decent. The story is so he's... I can't remember if it was before or after. I think he'd already started negotiations with these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was in a position where, because again, uh, you know, his, his girlfriend at the time was the only income they had in the family, and they was the so hoes. Um, he went out on the street trying to sell his dog, and uh, he, he met this guy who, if I remember right, was from, uh, from like, the Los Fuentes, Burbank area, over there. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, just distraught over the whole thing, but he, he eventually ended up selling it to the guy uh, for, I think, 100 bucks, 150 bucks, something like that. Um, yeah. He just, he didn't, there was n- literally nothing else he could do. Um, and so he was heartbroken over. But the story was, it was somewhere between three to five days later was when he closed the deal. Yeah. He got paid. And when he got paid, he went and found the guy he sold the dog to. And he bought the dog back for a few thousand dollars.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it like actually, the dog, Buckus, is actually in the movie. Rocky. Yeah. That's his dog. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like I said, shit happens, man. Like and it like worked out. Now he goes and does this like little bit of movie. I think they had less than maybe a million dollars to make this movie. But one thing that is revolutionary about this movie is one of the very first movies to use the steady cam. And mm-hmm. they used it to a great degree, particularly during the running scenes. Where he's like running along piers and he's running up buildings and all this other stuff. So yeah, they really were revolutionary in terms of that. And, and for people who don't have enough of
2: a enough of a background or understanding of behind the scenes when it comes down to it so when you're making a movie um, you have to start thinking what, what they like to say is behind the fourth wall so the fourth wall when you think about a film is you as the the audience right like you you see everything that's happening in front of the camera right so if you think about it three dimensionally there's three walls in front of you there's there's down the left down the right and there's the back the fourth wall would be the front that's where the camera lens is behind the camera mm-hmm especially go and watch a lot of old films there's very very smooth movement that you see a lot of the time with with the cameras and that comes into uh to, to the play of things like dollies and planes and um, so in order to have the camera move along with an actor you set up basically what look like little mini railroads that have these very heavy dollies on them that that'll then guide the direction the camera goes and you got a little bit better where you know, if the ground is smooth enough and flat enough, you can roll the dog without traps. big difference mm-hmm. with steady cam is you have an arm that stabilizes the camera movement left to right, up to down, so it doesn't get so jarring when a person is walking with it. Because you do have
4: some of those handhelds, the problem is, as the camera back, that can cause a bouncing carriage of the camera. And so it gives
2: it kind of a shaky, almost an earthquake effect that, doesn't translate or look very good on screen. So once they, they, they came up with the steady cam rig, it now allows you, as you're doing better, to do things like stairs, um, to go around corners, to have longer shots, have to see some kind of scenes, to see them sometimes use a combination of a frame into, um,
3: so like you'll have them
2: hooked up with a steady cam rig. They'll be up in the air, 10, 20 feet A crane will lower them down. That's a crazy forecast thing to watch. Bouncing a crane will lower them down, but it the ground. There's two guys waiting there to pull the pins on their on their harness so that it releases them from the crane and then they can finish following the action on foot as they cruise. It's really truly, from a filmmaking standpoint, a major game changer and revolutionary. Probably the single best. Steadicam shot of the era for a long, continuous shot um, is in the movie Goodfellas. Ray Liotta, uh, yeah. first time with, uh, with his soon-to-be wife, um, they start outside this club. They go down a back way in through a kitchen, make their way through a large crowd of people, and then end up with a table set down right up front to watch a show. Um, so if you mm-hmm. watch those kinds of things, it'll start to make more sense just why something like a steady cam is so important. To your point, with the million dollar budget, um, that saves so much time and labor being able to run a Steadicam off because you don't have to spend the time to lay down tracks, to move the dogs around it. It really,
1: truly does make a difference. Yeah. Now in terms of, like I said, the million dollar budget, Stallone had to call in a lot particularly from family to do this movie. So you guys should see a lot of his family members in the movie. First of all, you see this, uh, his brother, Frank Stallone. He's the singer with the trash can to take me back. Do-do-do-do, take me back. That's Frank Stallone. Uh, and then you also see uh, his father is actually the ring, uh, the ring uh, guy or whatever, the guy that rings the bell at the actual fight itself against him and Apollo. And his wife, Sasha Zach, at the time was actually the set photographer. She got the iconic pictures of Rocky. So, yeah, he called in the family for this. But like I said, it is all a family affair, but it worked out wonderfully. Rocky was released to huge success in 1976. Massive. Uh, four- yeah, massive success, yeah. At the 49th Academy Awards, it was nominated for ten, 10 awards, including Best Actor and Best Screenplay for Stallone. The movie went on to win three of them, Best Picture, Best Director for John Abelson, and Best Film Editor. And this movie basically puts Stallone on the map and made him a huge star almost instantly. So after that, he actually went on to make his uh, directorial debut like a year or two later, Paradise Alley, which is like this, uh, it's actually a wrestling movie. Uh, But uh, it didn't do well at all. He also tried another movie, uh, Fist, with uh, Norman Jewison, where he played the dark worker, pretty much like a Jimmy Hoffa type. Yeah. Uh but he had to, yeah eventually he had to turn back to Rocky cuz both his other efforts outside of Rocky were failing so he wrote directed and starred in Rocky 2 in 1979 and that again was a massive success even a much bigger success than the first one so uh and like I said I love both movies but yeah I, I, I if I had to say which one I like watching more I think Rocky 2 I like watching Rocky 2 so, so really uh, and then after that, he got yeah. Go ahead. I to say though, for me,
2: it's a toss-up between four and one. I really like the original, but I also like
1: I also like four. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, actually, I was I actually had a list. Speaking of that, uh, for my notes or whatever, different movies I wanted us to go over. One of them was uh Rocky. Actually, gonna go over Rocky three because I wanted Rocky four to be a podcast all by itself. Because I, I agree with you, dude. Rocky. Yeah. Of of the sequels, Rocky IV is the the one that everybody loves. It's the most iconic one, yeah. So that one's gonna be a whole podcast by itself,
3: for sure.
1: Yeah. So and uh, oh yeah, also after Rocky II became a success, he starred in uh, Escape to Victory, the soccer movie with uh, Michael Caine and Pele. It was directed by John Huston. So uh, there's a great story they tell about. Uh, there's a scene where John Houston is directed to like run in his field, uh, and he's like uh, he's like sitting up, <laughs> he's like sitting up at a certain spot or whatever. And he's like he's in a car because it's like bitter cold and shit. And he's like, uh, I want you to run, run, keep running, keep running until I say cut. Like, and he's like, how, how am I gonna know you say cut? So what you gonna what you gonna see is that like, you see this car right here? I'm gonna blink the lights to let you know, you know, when to stop. So he listens to him. He's like, okay. So Stallone starts running. and He keeps running. keeps running. And he, keeps running and he keeps running. And then he turns around and sees the car actually drove away. <laughs> so fucking, yeah, he just uh, – so Houston just got the shot and just left his ass there. Well, look, here's the thing. I, I, I think we could
2: probably – we could we could and probably should do a podcast about John Houston at some point. But hey, late Soccer Movie. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, like Stallone never forgot that shit Now that same year, 81 He actually starred in a movie that I love And I think it's hella
3: underrated Nighthawks You've seen Nighthawks, right? I heard you. I'll let you continue
2: You don't like Nighthawks? Oh, come on, dude
3: okay, I'm gonna
2: go deep cut for Stallone We're gonna talk about Cobra
1: Okay, we'll go with Cobra. Okay, all right, so I'm saying, I don't like right. night house Yeah, hot isn't bad, but... Mm, I, prefer, I, prefer, I prefer it to Cobra.
3: That's fine. You can prefer that. <laughs> we're, talking, we're, talking, we're
2: talking chocolate ice cream or Rocky Road. It's fine. Yeah. I like Rocky Road. You can go with, you know, plain old chocolate. That's fine.
1: That's fine. Okay. All right. So in Nighthawks, he plays his cop, Deep the De Silva, And his, his, his partner was, uh, uh, what's his name, Billy B. Williams. And they both uh, basically uh, recruited for this anti terrorist task force to take out this terrorist, Rugar, played by uh, Rucker Howard in his uh, English film debut. So come on now, Rucker Howard, dude. I, look,
3: I didn't say it was bad. I, I, you're I wasn't saying it, but you're
1: not saying it's good.
2: <laughs> I wasn't putting up against Pele or something. I wasn't even putting up against what, uh, two, Death Race 2000? I was just saying, yeah, it's okay. Okay. It's, uh, all right, so. All right, so something.
1: Okay, Okay, cool. So we'll move on from Nighthawks of him. This is AJ Don't Like It. <laughs> but uh, let's go ahead. His next movie, uh, pretty much this is actually, I, a lot of people don't realize how crucial this next movie is because the fact, This is his first hit outside of Rocky. And that will be First Blood, 1982. His first movie as John Rambo. Now, we, AJ, have discussed this. Uh, Rambo, the character, will be getting his own podcast, uh, particularly. But I I have to say, personally, this is my absolute favorite Sylvester Stallone, First Blood. Yeah. But, yeah, like I said, go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to say, the thing about this film that is similar to Rocky is uh, it's, it's a minimal suspension of disbelief. And it's based on a novel. Um, We'll get into this a little bit more because I I was fortunate enough when I was, uh, back when I was in school, I got to talk with the the writer of the film and you know, got a lot of behind the scenes kind of stuff that was going on there. But the thing that's fantastic about it, it's it's based so firmly in a lot of ways in reality. Um, It takes a lot of real concept, real characters, real people, Real attitudes, real things that were going on, and it, it puts a spin on it. it. was kind of different. I mean, the thing that, you know, people in our generation right now, uh, we, we grew up with uh, this, this idea, this thing that um, when it comes to uh, I don't know, the uniform, you know, there's, for the most part, you know, I see people out there, we call them assholes, that's fine. But for the most part, most people uh, have, a, have a massive amount of respect for people that go into the armed services who spend their lives you know, risking it for, for the rest of us.
0: Uh,
2: what First Blood captured was and put out there in a pop culture kind of way, probably more than just about anyone else to that point of time, was the, the real um, tragedy and disturbance that a lot of people really uh, were faced with when it came time to come home. Uh, and honestly, the, the real disgusting on which a lot of them were treated um, and a lot of that to promote that pop culture. And, you know, to be generous, you can say that misunderstandings with some folks. With other folks, maybe it was just a willful decision that they didn't like them. Uh, but that, as a jumping off, thing. made it very them made it very school, And then they did a fantastic job in the first film uh, rounding everything in reality. So, who would have done this? And you know, Green Beret veteran would be, how he would look at the situation. This is also one of the first films I think did a pretty decent job looking at and playing with post-traumatic stress disorder even though we were still kind of trying to remind around it as, a, as, a, as a country and as people were involved in um, you know, mental health services and all that sort of thing. It, it had a ton going for it and um, you know for better or worse because people always joke about Sylvester so Stallone's performance is this side or the other. He did a Job. It was yeah. it was a brilliant performance. It wasn't over the top. Um, we can talk about Rambo 2 and some of the other ones later, where maybe it did get a little bit crazy, exploding arrows, and you know they kind of lost some of what they had going on in the first one. But the first one, uh, strategies, um, the the uh, standard operating procedures, the things that he did, the, the guerrilla warfare tactics that are displayed in the film. Um, it was something that had never been seen before. And they tried to get close, I think, stance and duplicating it. But I don't know that they've ever really gotten back to in terms of what realistically one guy with that level of training could potentially do, especially uh, in a community that wasn't anticipating or expecting to run into a guy like that.
1: Now, one thing I was, you actually just kind of hit on it a little bit just now. There's one thing that this movie popularized, a lot of people don't really give it credit for. Well, some people do, but a lot of people don't, was it actually initiated the cliché, the action movie cliché of the ex-military veteran as a one-man army. Yeah. So, yeah, and then the whole image of Stallone with the large gun and the bandoliers of bullets. How many times have you seen that in action movies, bro?
2: Yeah, ever since. I mean, even when we did our watch-along for Commando,
1: right? I mean, you have to have... Like, yeah. I would yeah, that- it basically just Schwarzenegger, Jack, and Stallone <laughs> there. So uh, yeah, 240 out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but like I said, uh, uh, First Blood was a huge success for Celeste Stallone. It spawned, of course, four sequels: First Blood, Two, Rambo, Three, Rambo in 2008, and last last year's Rambo: Last Blood, which is basically what he. That's the most far from the franchise as it was. Like, that's basically just a slasher movie. They happen to have Rambo in it, so yeah. that kind of shit.
3: See, and
2: again, that's what I was saying. Like, you can talk about how the franchise almost immediately jumped the shark
3: afterwards. Mm. At first, my God. my God, it was just
1: so good. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Now uh, he, uh, like I said, the movie proved that Stallone was not a one-trick pony. He went on to continue success. Uh, after that, he went on to do Rambo three. I'm sorry, Rocky three. Uh, right after uh, he did uh, First Blood. Now, the thing thing that uh, changed most significantly from from the original movies that he did to to First Blood and to Rocky III is the change in his appearance. He basically reduced his body fat down to about, like, 2.8%. And he was working out, like, vigorously, six days a week and doing further... Doing little, further little things during the nighttime, and he was—I think he's like on a diet. Or he said like water and tuna fish for like weeks and weeks and weeks and like. But yeah, he, but he was nuts, man. He actually, actually was working out with uh, Franco Colombo, who was a friend of Arnold Schwarzenegger and of course a champion bodybuilder, and and actually he worked, he worked out for those movies as if he was like preparing for Mr. Olympia. So uh, so he's working out like, two days a week, two uh, two workouts a day, six days a week for extended period. You, just, you
2: look at him, because he's got his shirt off in every movie. You look at him in Rambo 1, or not yeah. Rambo, so Rocky 1, the first Rocky, versus by the time he hits Rocky 3. Jesus
1: Christ, it's like two different people.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's got, you know, he's got veins popping out of his arms and, and chest and back and everything. I mean, the, the vascular nature of things is just – it's verging on comical. It really is. It's so insane.
1: And how they kept saying he was a heavyweight, and like he looks very much like a middleweight. Like there's no way he could have been a heavyweight. He's very small. But I mean, how t- I can't remember. How tall is he? I think it's like five. Actually, I got the list here. I believe it's like five, five, eight, five, nine. He's not that tall. Five nine, five nine.
2: Up until up until um, Dwayne Johnson, the the tallest guy that I can remember doing any action stuff was. Uh, Schwarzenegger, and I think he's only 6'2 or 6'3, and you know, I mean, if, if you don't, if you're not into bodybuilding, if you're not into any of that kind of stuff, it's hard to really appreciate um, kind of what's needed um, in terms of physicality for those bigger guys to be able to get that look. I mean, the the, the small, because it's almost like you've got a smaller frame that you're, you're building out, you know, so the total, I mean, just in terms of the calories you got to have as an intake, mm-hmm. the sheer number of calories you have to have in the right mix and everything, the bigger you get, it's, the volume goes insane. Yeah. That's now, not- uh, yeah, go ahead. Mountain on, uh, what was it, the, the Game of Thrones?
4: Yeah.
3: Did you see, did
2: you see him just break the world record for deadlift?
1: Yeah. it was a
2: monster, bro. Or whatever the hell it was, something insane like that. That yeah. did- I was watching something a while back that how many thousands of calories he has to eat every day just to keep that machine going. And then oh, yeah. make him you know, slim down on the body fat side to be around 2%. I mean, it's, it's an engineering feat. You need like a team of people.
1: Okay. All right. Now, in 84, after the success of First Blood of Rocky III, he took a misstep uh, and tried comedy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he starred in the movie Rhinestone with Dolly Parton, where he's basically a New York cabbie recruited to be a country singer. <laughs> and uh, he actually performed his own songs for the uh, for the actual movie. So, yeah, it did not go over well at all. He actually turned down the lead in *Romancing the Stones*. Stones*. I don't know if that would
2: have helped him if he had taken the lead in *Romancing the Stone*, but it
1: couldn't hurt. I think it couldn't hurt. It really couldn't
3: hurt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so that yeah, but yeah, yeah, that was '84 and '85. He that was basically his year, bro. Eighty-five, because Rocky Four and Rambo Two both came out that same year, yep. and they both ended up the two. No, no, actually, um, the only movie that beat both of those movies that year was uh, Back to the Future, which that actually uh, that needs its own podcast, <laughs> <laughs> which it is going to have. Back to the Future will have its own podcast, but uh, like actually, all three of those movies. Deserved on podcast, uh, fucking Rocky Two, Rambo Four, uh, what was it? Rocky Four, Rambo Two, and fucking uh, Bad to the Future, all deserved on podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, man. But yeah, eighty-five was Stallone's year, bro. He was
0: huge
1: then. But then after that, started making some missteps uh, around eighty-seven-ish. He did the movie Over the Top, where he played uh, the, the, the truck.
3: Can Actually, I'm I love, I love up. over the top. Movies. Are you still there? I'm still here. You hear me? I want to stand up for that movie. I
2: thought that was a great film.
1: Me too. I agree with you. Actually, I love over the top. Well,
3: because you
2: started out, you started out saying he made some missteps. I'm like going, you know what? I know some people
1: might talk about. I was gonna- I was gonna explain that, like in terms of like the public perception of that movie, it didn't really do well at the box office and it was poorly received by critics. But I was gonna redeem it by saying I personally love the movie.
2: Well, and if you don't know what it is, so the whole the whole concept is it's essentially a father who's estranged from his son, he's divorced from the mom, and the, the mom's now married to a new guy, a rich guy, you know, everything's basically No, 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 no,
1: no, no. The mom's not married to nobody, she's dying. Oh, and, the, the, uh, and, the, and the chick's dad does not like Stallone's character yeah. the dad apparently it's implied that the dad is responsible for the breaking up of the marriage right' well, he wouldn't well, leave them alone doesn't
2: grandpa because part of it too is there's a class warfare thing I feel like doesn't if I remember it doesn't grandpa have some money or something and dad's just yeah gonna, like,
1: yeah gra- gra- grandpa is rich and like he just doesn't want he doesn't think he's appropriate Right. for his daughter or the son. And, like, he basically wants the son for himself because you feel like, That's I'm true. his father. I'm such he, he, he's okay. always chastised – yeah, throughout the movie, he's chastising Salon but like, you're not around, you're not around. Fuck, you forced me away. You, you, yeah, you, you're the reason I'm not around. Uh, I want mix it up
2: with uh, – what, what was the other one uh, from the 80s with uh, – what's his name, dude who plays Al Bundy? Uh, Remember the one? Well, uh,
1: Talking about uh, Robert Lozier?
2: Where, where he goes and he picks up his girlfriend's son. He's oh, born.
1: Dutch. That was in the 90s, though.
2: Dutch. Sorry. I was mi- I was mixing up that little bit with the mic. The, the, but anyway, and in, in over the top, uh, mm. the key thing being, he, it's essentially the father's going to reconnect with his son, and he's sort of teaching him, like, the value of, of hard work and, and all that kind of stuff, and that if you actually put in the time and the effort, um, you know, regardless of whether or not people are looking down on you because of your station in life, you can still be successful. You can still be a man. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic father and son kind of a movie. I still remember the first time I saw. It. I was like maybe nine or ten. It's a great, yeah. f- it's a family
1: film. It's one of my favorite Stallone films. Like it's one of the rewatchable ones. I've watched it. Like I actually watched it, just watched it again like a few weeks ago.
3: Yeah, it's a great film.
1: Yes, it is, man. Very underrated movie for Stallone. Yeah, I really love the movie. But after that, he re- oh, well, he started making some real. Okay, <laughs> but but now we can get into Cobra. Yes. All right. So you talk about Cobra. I I will throw in a fact, but yeah, you go ahead and talk about Cobra. Well,
2: why why don't first? Why don't you talk about uh, what uh, what that originally was going to be?
1: Well, that was what actually my fact was. Uh, so uh, at one point in nineteen like early eighties, he was uh, Sylvester Stallone was uh, basically selected to play Axel Foley in Beverly Hills Cop. Now, because of the fact he was a huge star and he had some creative control, he flexed that creative control and actually changed up the script. Initially, it was supposed to be a comedy, but he changed it into a full-on action movie. And He actually changed the name of the character from Axel Foley to Axel the, the Motor City Cobra, Reddy. And uh, he had like all these crazy stunts and it was going to be way more expensive. And eventually, Stallone left, uh, more or less because of the fact he made up some reason to leave the movie because he he basically was done with it. And basically, his material that he used for Beverly Hills Cop, what what, what would have been his version of Beverly Hills Cop, he incorporated into Cobra, this movie. So basically, Cobra is Beverly Hills Cop, has us strong did it.
2: Now, what I'll say about this film is, it has probably one of the most, especially for the 80s, but I mean, even now, it has one of the most visually disturbing opening sequences um, where there's there's basically the whole get down of the the entire film is there's this cop who's Cobra uh, that we we're talking about LAPD and he's a little bit he's one of those guys that the stereotypical he's not cut out of the same cloth as the rest of the cops right like he's doing his own yeah, his
1: yeah own. He, he 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 doesn't play by the rules
2: exactly it's it's his it's his dirty Harry is probably the easiest way to get there it's 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 his version of a dirty Harry so. The open sequence takes place when um, there's this psycho cult and you find out later that's part of this larger death cult, essentially, that's out there um, of people. They, they go into a, a supermarket, um, mm-hmm. and take a bunch of people hostage, kill a few people, and he resolves the situation as you'd expect a dirty, hairy kind of a cop to do it uh, with uh, a lot of action, a lot of violence, uh, very few, if anyone else, injured, but all the bad guys leaving in body bags,
1: um, hey, I, you can't you can't just glance over there. You gotta hit him with the line, dude.
2: Well, I'm him
3: with the
1: line, man. I want to, I want to step on it. Okay, okay. You're the actor. <laughs> right, I try to do my best I can.
3: Okay, here we go. <clears throat> you disease. I'm the
1: cure. <laughs> <was pretty> <laughs> thank you, thank you. But well, yeah, like, freaking uh, yeah. <laughs>
3: And we
2: later find out as it goes that there's a death cult involved and there's uh, this woman who is essentially a witness uh, to something that a couple of these members were involved in. So they're chasing her and uh, Cobra's trying to protect her. Now, the only, the only negative note I'm going to put on this film, it's a it's a welcome criticism, I think. I think it's a fair criticism. Um, the, the ending's not as strong as it could be or should be. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, whether it was time, energy, or, or artistic decisions, um, it could have had a lot more satisfying ending. But mm-hmm. having, uh, I have it. I've had it in my library for a while. I watch it uh, pretty regularly. It's a great, great, great like, an action film. Um, mm-hmm. Again, from the 1980s and I mean, honestly, even for now, it's a really good film. Um,
1: yes. yes, it is.
2: It's fantastic. I mean, for for some, there's the closest thing I can think of anything else that gets close on the darkness and it all it goes to a different level we've talked about this before is Robocop. Uh, yeah but I don't think Robocop's even as dark as uh, I mean it's definitely as violent or more violent but it's not as dark as Cobra.
1: yeah and uh, and one of my favorite comedians he keeps bringing up the villain from that movie and at the last the, the, the final conversation where he's like in like a factory and shit. It's like all oh, this like molten shit around and he's like got his gun, he's, like, you wanna go to hell? You wanna go to hell with me, Pig? Let's bleed pig. He always brings that shit up. It's so fucking funny. <laughs>
3: it's like, but it's a great moment in the film, it really is. <laughs> you wanna go to
1: hell, Pig? That dude that plays the villain. I forget the actor's name, but he always is a bad motherfucker in every movie I've ever seen him in. He's crazy scary in that thing, dude. It's like Brian something, right? Brian, Brian Thompson, I believe that's the actor's name, Brian Thompson. What I'll
2: say is, um, and again, you have to think about things to a certain extent in terms of film history, right? Because that, that informs and should inform the way you look at a lot of films. Because it's not fair to, like, what was that? Uh, Metropolis, right? that's probably the one of the most famous ones from the film era. You get a lot of steampunk and that sort of stuff out of there,
4: and like, a lot
1: of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And
2: PD flying by, I guess,
1: I mean. It's <laughs> LA, folks. You know what? They're still on lockdown. They're looking
2: for the people outside their house, so give me just a second
0: there.
2: Yeah. What I was going to say is... Shit, I don't even remember what I was going to say. Oh, The Dark... (laughs) Um, Probably the only other film I can think of that that got into a place that made me as uncomfortable the first time I saw it, because, again, you have to think historically, um, would be Silence of the Lambs, the first time because of how dark and twisted it is because again oh I remember what I was gonna say so like you look at a film like Metropolis right um silent film era people still watch it today it's got a lot of um a lot of influence on on kind of sci-fi and that sort of things you get into um some films can hold up pretty well some films don't hold up at all I mean you watch a lot of sci-fi stuff like we were talking about Death Race 2000 I'm sure yeah. that's like a very realistic idea of a dystopian future. Um, you look at it now today, and it's campy and funny. Mm-hmm. It over today, um, it's still disturbing, and it's so visceral and so realistic that you're like, man, these these bad guys, these villains, uh, yeah, they might still be doing. They're doing the same shit with the axes today. But they're doing the movie when we watched it in the '80s. You know, so it's it's a great film.
1: Yeah. All right, so uh, moving on, we're gonna go ahead to another movie. They actually did, uh, and this is a great movie: Tango and Cash '89. When
2: it actually worked out for him to do a little comedy.
1: Yeah, bloody cop movie. Him and Kurt Russell, Tango and Cash. Is that because he's these two cops two, who are uh, both diametrically different in terms of their lifestyle, how they dress, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but they're both
4: badasses
1: in their own way. It's man, so. almost like a weapon had an influence. Almost uh, you yeah, was pretty sure it had an influence. But yeah, buddy comedy. I really like. I like Tango and Cash. Then, funny enough, both of them ended up in another movie I like, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yeah. Uh, and they're both in space. It was, they weren't together, but they were both in the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kurt, yeah, yeah. Kurt Russell plays uh, you know, Ego, the Living Planet, and and, uh, and um Stallone plays his character Star, uh, Starhawk. Was kind of like a pseudo uh space pirate type dude you know what i'm saying so yeah awesome. i was happy to see them both together can you can you hear me yeah yeah i, I think that's great oh, okay okay cool well you got quiet there right, now in the early 90s uh we started to get some fuck ups here <laughs> uh, uh first off was rocky five which is basically considered the weakest of the entire rock. Uh, but it did have the original director again, John Appleson, but, yeah, it just the direction that they went compared to the other movies, it, yeah, it just kind of fell flat at the box office. Well, I will say the best scene of that movie is the street fight at the very end with yeah. Tommy Gunn, his protege.
2: Well, I mean, like, I, I get what he was going for on it. It was almost... Um... You know, it's it's that it's that father son thing he was looking for. And it makes more sense when you think about it too. It's just like he's talking to his actual
1: son too. Yeah, and then and Rocky shows Rocky has poor financial skills and trusting fucking Paulie with a with a
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> with Will and uh, um, Will Smith uh,
1: Powell, no he's no, like uh, he gave Paulie what uh, a power of attorney. Oh he gave this a uh, he gave their accountant power attorney and the accountant <laughs> wiped them clean.
2: Right, but what I was going to say is, you remember, uh, what was that movie with Will Smith and his son, um, After Earth or whatever?
4: Oh, yeah.
2: I kind of think about Rocky V the same way, just not quite as bad. It's like, in it, some respects, I feel like he was trying to make, it was a father-son project, so it was more about him getting to do something with his son, and then, you know, at the same time, maybe teach him some stuff about, you know, being a man and being smart. And, you know, yeah. Stuff. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's not... There's some movies, if they come on TV, I'm, like, immediately turning the channel. I wouldn't turn the channel right away on Rocky 5, but if any other Rocky was on, I'd, I'd definitely change the channel.
1: Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so there's that. Uh, and then some other movies where he attempted comedy again. The first one was a movie called Oscar, which was actually directed by John Landis. It was supposed to be, like, one of those, like, period piece type comedies. Didn't really workout work out. And this is run, this where the next one is The Kicker. And he actually tells a great story about it. Uh Stop or My Mom will shoot. Oh yes. <laughs> so uh he actually Schwarzenegger, both Schwarzenegger and Stallone tell the story of what happened with Stop or My Mom will shoot. So at the time, Schwarzenegger and Stallone were in a deep, deep rivalry with each other. Uh I love Stallone, he's like uh like uh he's on Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Fallon's like, So you and Schwarzenegger had like a love hate relationship and he's like, uh well, it's well, haters are very strong, but yeah, hate, hate, hate sounds right. And he's like, uh, and he actually said, I admire Arnold so much. He's got three different careers, but at the time, I wanted to strangle him. And yeah. like, mainly because of the fact they kept like trading movies and shit. Like, the, the prime example was like, I would do Rambo, he would do Commando. He just kept going back and forth. Like, you, know, the top movies, right?
2: you basically had the two top box office action guys, both dudes with you know crazy accents or, or, speech patterns that were kind of hard to you know hear and interpret it was very instantaneously like it, it grabbed you right so I mean they, they were very similar to who they were and because mm-hmm. of their box office reach it really didn't matter I mean from producing in a producing a, and a filmmaking standpoint in terms of the economics mm-hmm. it really didn't matter who you got so for them it makes sense because they're both competing to, to kind of stay on top or at least not, at least not fall by the wayside
1: yeah actually stallone said himself the reason that they had become friends is because he actually sat back one day looked at uh schwarzenegger's accomplishments looked at schwarzenegger's personality and he said to himself god damn it we're the same person <laughs> they really in a lot of ways yeah and then come to find out they're both avid cigar fans so it's like god damn it like we're the same guy in fact well
2: when we get to expandables i got something on that
1: but yeah 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 okay so uh so getting back to the top of my um shoot so uh, at the time, like I said, they were in a big rivalry and Arnold got the script for Stopping My Mama Shoot first. And he thought it was a complete piece of shit from the get. He's like, I'm not doing this shit. But he wanted to have a little fun, so he told his agent that like, hey, like, uh, I want to do this movie, on My Mama Shoot. And then that word got back to Stallone's agent, and Stallone's like, hey, you know, hey, uh, Arnold's doing this movie, on My Mama Shoot, you know what I'm saying? He's like, hey, uh, Hey, he's he's big on it because Arnold at that point had done Kindergarten Cop yeah. and Twins and those were huge successes. So like, hey, if Arnold wants to do it, shit, I'll do it. So like, he and he was with his age, like, whatever you do, make sure I get this part. Okay, make sure I get this part. He did, so Arnold let him. And of course, the rest is history. And it's an awful, awful movie. It might be. It might be, it might be his worst movie he's ever made. I, I, I told totally agree with that. Even worse than the porno. I think it's, it's just the worst. It's the worst movie I've ever made. Did you ever see? Uh, see what?
3: The porno.
1: Uh, yes, I actually have. <laughs> uh, fun, I funny know. enough, uh, no, funny enough, uh, Stallone scenes. Uh, yeah, they show like some back nudity of him, but they actually insert a hardcore uh action into it. It's very clearly not him, so it's weird.
3: <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm not even going to
2: ask how, how often or how much you watched it to be able to tell that it wasn't him, it somebody else. I
1: only, only watched it once on like <laughs> fucking Pornhub or some shit like that. I was like, okay. <laughs> Just out of curiosity. got yeah, it was what it was.
3: Yeah, curiosity killed the cat, right? That is true.
2: <laughs> I think you might have killed your own libido.
1: I actually did, actually. It was awful. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so let's go ahead and get to the movie that brought him back uh, in the early 90s. Cliffhanger. Yes, sir. 93 came out. It was a huge smash. It was a really good movie, man. Like, freaking very suspenseful uh, movie. was the bad guy? Forget about it. Yeah, that's yeah, right. And then, freaking, like, the whole the uh, beginning scene where he's, like, rescuing the chick and she dies. That scene was replicated God knows how many times. Dude,
2: the first time I saw that scene, this goes to the fact that you know, obviously you and I both were pretty young when this film came out. First yeah. time I saw that scene was a satire of it in Ace
1: Ventura too. Yeah, that was. I was about to say that because like I was saying, it got parody so many times. The best one I was about to say was Ace Ventura when Nature Calls with him and the fucking uh, raccoon. <laughs> but yeah, they did that shit perfectly actually. So oh, fantastic. Yeah, but yeah, Cliffhanger was a massive hit, grossed like 84 million in the US, and then went on to gross like 170 million worldwide. So it was a huge success for Stallone. That same year, he started with Western Snipes and Demolition Man. Well, another great year for Stallone. You know what I'm saying? Like, freaking that was 93. <laughs> so
3: what? Remember Pogs?
2: What about it? Again, you remember the, the game Pogs that we all played? Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. What, what, what
2: about it? Pogs. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, dude. There are Demolition Man Pogs
4: out there.
1: I remember there was a video game, too. Every, like I was going to say, this, every major action movie or like major
4: horror movie at
3: that
1: point in 19th. Dude, it was so
3: good, they remade it a couple years ago.
1: As what?
2: I, I'm trying to remember who they added, but I could have sworn. Didn't they remake it with like, Colin Firth or something? Oh, no. No, no, no. Judge Dredd. I'm sorry. I'm mixing up. It was Judge Dredd. No, I haven't got to judge you
1: yet, but yeah, I'll get, to, I'll get to that in a bit, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, But yeah, like I said, him and Wesley Snipes is nice set in the future, you know, they're both like enemies for the past, both of them were cryogenically frozen, and both of them happen to be resuscitated at the same time in the future, I and mean, of course, the, the rivalry, the right? And of course, the whole get down is that Stallone's character, both of the characters really are a fish out of water, they're in the future, they don't know what's going on, Sloan's this old school cop but the new cops are like pussies pretty much and he's got like it was like Sandra Bullock and Rob Schneider are like his like uh, love interest and in comedic uh, spoiled and all that good shit but Wesley Snipes is cool as shit as fucking uh, like what's the name Simon whatever his name was in the movie with the fucking uh, with the fucking uh, blonde fade and shit like it's kind of yeah it's very it's actually a very blade looking fade before you actually play a blade yeah just having to be blonde, peach, uh, uh, die blonde or whatever. But yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, huge hit for Stallone. Grossed to $158 million worldwide. And then he came up with another hit. Movie that I re- this is the next movie I really like. The, the Specialist. Specialist? You remember that one he played? It was him and James Woods and Sharon Stone and Eric Roberts. No, I don't remember this one. Okay, so basically Stallone and James Woods are playing, like, these ex, like, militaries, slash dude, whatever. Uh, they both get out of the military after a bad incident. Um, Stallone become, kind of becomes an undercover, like, hitman, using his uh, expertise in explosives to take out people and shit. Like, he's, like, so good in explosives. He can, like, put explosives in, like, parking meters, put explosives in, like, like little, uh, like, a, like, a, there's one scene where the dude's, like, getting room service. He put, like, a bomb in the tray and shit like that. Just all these different things with explosives. And he's also a very secretive dude. But also, the James Woods character comes back and starts fucking with him again. And the whole time, Stallone is being romanced uh, by Sharon Stone. Of course, you know, Sharon Stone being Sharon Stone at the time. She's super hot. And, of course, she gets naked in the movie. Actually, they both get naked. Uh, There's a shower scene where they won't get naked. Mm. And, um, but, yeah, James Woods is being James Woods, a complete dick. In this movie. <laughs> uh but yeah, it's a really good movie. Check it out, man. The specialist. Yeah, like it's not guns, it's explosives. That's all right. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good, man. Check it out. Uh but now since you brought it up, Judge Dread.
4: Oh
1: yes. God. Yeah. Man, what the fuck? I don't know why the hell he did this shit. Because like I'm a like I, for those of you not familiar with the character of Judge Dread, the character of Judge Dredd was a british is a, is a british main character uh, who was popular popularized in the uh, comic book called 2000 ad which actually is kind of like this revolutionary you know, cutting edge dystopian future type deal where we had these different cops called judges who are also judge jury and executioner judge Dredd is the most popular one of these characters and he's like Prior to the movie, he had been around since the 70s. And it's like, it's actually it's still around to this day. 2000 AD is still being published to this day. But there was a point where they make a movie about this character because of the similarities they had to Robocop, which even though Robocop bit from fucking Judge Dredd a lot, uh, particularly mm-hmm. his look. Uh and it's like, you know, Judge Dredd fucking, hey, give him his own shit. So And it, there's it, it, it it a part in the 90s where after Batman came out, Studios were going crazy trying to find the next big comic book thing like, to blow up. Dude, they and still they, are. Yeah, they still are. But in, in this particular time, those results were not as successful as Batman. But they tried, though. There's a couple of tries. It was that. It was Judge Dredd. I remember they tried with The Shadow, which I love, by the way. I love The Shadow. It's my favorite out of ball. Uh And then The Phantom and The Rocketeer. They tried a couple times. It just wasn't. It was a Batman. And this is, like I said, this is one of those failed attempts. Given
2: uh, what happened with Judge Dredd, why did they
1: go for round two with the Judge Dredd reboot? Because of the fact that, like I said, there was still a strong fan base for the character. The main reason that the uh, Stallone movie flopped was because of the fact that Stallone was not that character. The, the character itself is very, watch, very, watch, very not. Yeah, go ahead. Did you watch the reboot? Yes, I did. What did you think? I love the reboot. It's actually one of my favorite movies. Really? Uh like I remember there was a I remember there was a period when it first came out. I didn't think I was gonna like it either because of the the stigma from this movie. But like I watched it I was like, this is actually one of the better reboots, dude. It's way better than this fucking movie. And fucking like uh like I said, like I I I to me 'cause like I I remember that and then I remember right around the same time the, that Robocop reboot came out, the one with uh Joel Kenneman and Michael Keith. Yeah. I'm thinking this dread movie was the Robocop movie that should have been made. Because it's gritty, it was action, it was like, it, like that's like, freaking, I love the yeah. reboot of Dread.
2: I'll take on it, I'll, I'll watch it. I didn't watch it because I, I, I was so disappointed the first go around, and I really didn't, I didn't expect much on the reboot. Because like I was well, within, I think, a year or two of the reboot on uh, Total Recall.
1: Yeah. So uh, I think one of the big reasons that uh, a lot of people like yourself had the stigma of the movie because the fact that this movie really strayed away from the comic itself. I mean a lot of the designs and shit were very similar to the movie, but the main thing that really pissed a lot of people off, myself included, if you knew the character, Sloan kept taking off his helmet. He pretty much took off his helmet the entire movie. Now the whole get down of Judge Dredd is that helmet that Yeah, that yeah, snarl, that scowl. Like, you know, Judge Dredd is not there for him to be seen. You know, what I'm saying he's like, he's pretty much uh, the solitary Clint Eastwood type character. All he cares about is fucking the law. And shit. Whereas in this movie, it was a whole other getdown. You know so, All
3: right.
1: Yeah. So, but but if you see the but you see the reboot and the reboot is actually though it's Carl Urban that takes over Dredge Dread and he does a fantastic job. He never takes off his helmet the
4: entire movie. Like, well,
1: Neither I mean, one of them were stopped with my mom will shoot right. So. Either one of them. So I my mom, shoot, I give him that. All right, so there's that. I didn't like Armando Sante as the villain either. So yeah, that's pretty good. I, I can see that. That boy.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then uh, another uh, kind of sleeper movie during the same time frame: uh, Assassins with uh, Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Yeah. I think the I think the one noteworthy thing about this movie is it's like I think it was the first uh, movie that the Wachowskis made. Oh yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think they wrote it and directed it something like that. But yeah, it's Antonio Banderas, Julianne Moore, and then, like, you know, these killers. Well, particularly Stallone and Banderas are killers. And of course, Banderas being, you know, the Latin wild card motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Like, and Stallone is like the, you know, grizzled veterans trying to get out of the game, killing them a long time, and he's just tired of it. And uh, but then like he gets one more job to kill this one lady who happened to be Julianne Moore, who's like a hacker or something like that. And you like to watch the movie and see this 90s ass technology with fucking CD ROMs and all shit. Like, Ew. and how long it takes to download? Like, oh my god,
2: <laughs> those old uh old Bond films, same thing,
1: yeah. It just takes forever for shit to download. Like, oh my god, but yeah. It's a really good movie, though. It's pretty good. Like uh, The whole get down is cat-and-mouse game between Antonio Manderas and uh, Sylvester Stallone, etc. Cetera, et cetera. It's a really good movie. And uh, Okay, let's see what else he made after that. Mm, Get-down to the 90s, etc. Et kind of laid off in the uh, late 90s, but like, one movie that you love, I know you love, he came up with uh, Copland. Yes. In 97. With uh, him, Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, yeah, it was a great movie, man. That
2: that may actually be, in his entire body of work, that may be his best
1: performance to date. And you don't like say, him in Creed? I was going to say, you don't like him in Creed?
2: No, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you. I'm going to couch it that way because he's he's showing some stuff and there's some interesting range of things now with his, his some of his later work. And, I mean, he's not slowing down. We can talk about We can get into it later when we get to Expendables and kind of his attitude now and where he's at. But um, when you watch Copland, if people haven't, it, um, it's a massive kind of a role reversal for him because like you talked about, like Tango and Cash, like he's got, he's, he's played in the comedic roles. Um, he's done some interesting stuff in drama. Even though it's an action boxing movie in Rocky, it's still very much a drama, right? And what people love about him, what was so great, because again, you look at what's going on in America and in the world underdog having to fight for what you want that whole thing. Um, you know he, he got in some really interesting territory but his job or his role rather in, in Copland, um, he's not he's not the Sylvester Stone uh, that we're used to seeing. He's not that confident guy who's gonna go out there and probably the the single film I can point to is say that there's a, a similarity in character arc and both in terms of the writing and the acting portrayal. Um, I'm gonna have to go with uh, His character, you know, he's he's basically, there's a small, the idea is there's a small little town across the river from New York. It's popla- populated entirely by cops from New York. He's the uh, in this small little town. He's the cop in a small little town who's responsible essentially for policing all of these policemen. Uh, Not really have anything but because he's this small town kind of a cop they look down on him. He has massive issues with his own sense of um, uh, not just self-worth and self-esteem, but his ability to keep up. So, I was also got very damaged. He has physical disability, and so Lester Stallone's portrayal of that character um, is fantastic. It's not it's not overplayed. It's not overdone. Um, if anything, it's understated, and it really creates um, a, a sense of realism that you lose in some of his action films. Um, mm-hmm. And couple that with the fact that you get to watch this arc where he finally is able to, essentially, um, for lack of a term, man up right? he overcomes his own insecurities. Right? But the way the whole thing I mean, you you're, he, they do, and, and you've gotta give it to the. To, rest of the cash got to get to the director the editing everything it really makes you feel bad you have a so much empathy for his character um and that all comes down to to all of those people coming together and putting in just a hell of a performance for a hell of a story that of all of his films um that's that's one of only probably four or five that uh, if i can really stop what i'm doing and just sit down and watch it if it comes on anywhere i'm
1: sitting down and watch it and freaking Tassel. Yeah. All right. So uh, after Copland, though, it's kind of a decline period for us. Okay. For he makes uh, he uh, yeah he makes a bunch of movies like that. Get Carter remake, uh, Driven, Angelo, Detox. They were all critical and commercial failures. His only hit during the time frame I think it's like between Copland and around 2005. His only real hit was he did a uh, Spy Kids three. 3D game over here's a bad guy in that movie and that was the only idiot. The rest of them was just like, whatever. Uh, he actually, at one point, he actually had his own TV show. That, uh, he did, he had the show The Contender on NBC with him and Sugar Ray Leonard. Basically like the boxing version of The Ultimate Fighter kind of thing. But, yeah, so uh, he also did a couple episodes of that show Las Vegas, also on NBC. And he also inducted Hulk Hogan into the WWE Hall of Fame You know, because of the connection from Rocky 3. And it's actually funny enough, uh, this is only the second time uh, in pretty much the, in the history of the knowing each other that Stallone and Hulk Hogan were ever met in public was when, <laughs> when Stallone inducted them to the Hall of Fame. He did the movie in the '80s, and then that was that, and they didn't really link up again for like twenty plus years. Of the end of the Hall of Fame. Thing.
2: Well, and I mean something worth noting while we're talking about Stallone and uh, you know for, for lack of a better term, you're describing that that decline or those declining years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're really seeing uh, when you talk about that primarily is more a, a decline or a wavering in terms of the U.S. box office. Um, one thing that I've found with pretty much everyone I've talked to in law, today, the U.S. Well has always been um, and continues to be uh, a, a huge sell uh, for the box office, particularly in Europe. Um, He's just, he's, he's always been strong there. And so when you look at it from an independent film standpoint, um, when it comes to financing, the way most of those films get made anymore, um, it's a combination of they, they get what they can from whatever municipality they're shooting in. In terms of film credits, they get tax credits and things like that to help offset the cost of production. Um, they get private equity. And then they do foreign pre-sales. So they've got their, their package together. Here's my actors, here's the script, here's blah, blah, blah. They go and talk to you all of the foreign territories um, and they, they basically secure contracts um, with, you know, the, whoever's going to have their language rights for French or English in Europe or German and all of those different ones together and then they put those contracts together and they have a total valuation at the end of the day. So depending on who you have involved impacts what those are worth. So you might have with one actor, this movie might be worth $5 million in foreign presales but Sylvester so Sloan, oh, it might be worth fifteen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you use those contracts that are in production those contracts to go make the film. Like, this, you know, if we get into how to make, I
3: don't know how many hours yeah.
2: of time just to get the basics. Yeah, yeah. when it comes down to it, he's always been um, valuable, pretty much from from the time of Rocky, when it comes to foreign pre-sales. So he he never really lost that. It's just the films that he's made doing good. Uh, U.S. box office, which there's kind of a weird symbiotic relationship based on how well it does here, it can impact foreign sales and whether yeah. um, distributors are worth paying. And on top of that, there's that thing too, where you know, as we become more interconnected as a world, uh, you know, people hear that this person or that person or these people are watching that film that's the biggest film ever. You know, nobody wants to be left out.
1: He didn't have that.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, after that little period, like of the little downfall of, uh, well, he had his lean years. Everybody has a, lean years is probably the best way to put it. I'll go with lean. That. Yeah. Yeah. His lean years. Yeah. So, in 2006, 19, uh, 16 years after Rocky Five, which we just talked about, uh, Sloan uh, was always a bit upset with the commercial failure of Rocky V in 1990. And so he decided to write, direct, and star in the sixth installment of the Rocky franchise, making it more an appropriate climax for the series, Rocky Balboa in 2006. Now, what he did not expect was this movie was welcomed with open arms by the world who missed Rocky Balboa, they missed that character, and also loved the direction that he took the character. Uh, shows him 60, Shows Rocky 16 years after the events of Rocky 5. Uh, he owns a restaurant now called Adrian's. Um, he's older. He's you know saying, he's basically living by himself. Uh, poor Adrian has passed away apparently from uh, he, he refers to it as woman cancer, but it's ovarian cancer. Uh, so she dies from ovarian cancer. He has this restaurant. His son is strange for him because the son is constantly being. Uh, pestered by everybody saying like you're Rocky's son, you're Rocky's son. Like oh come on, like uh, like your dad's Rocky, you should be better than that. And anyway, like and all this stuff starts coming down. He's he, he's referring to something in the movie called the stuff in the basement. Basically, he has that urge for one more big fight in him. And he feels like he was uh pretty much cut down on his youth prematurely and shit. So he decides to make a comeback, and that's pretty much the whole basis of the movie. Now the movie itself was like I said was lauded and uh, loved by critics and fans of the franchise because, the fact, it gave you those old feels again of the Rocky franchise. It was uh, so successful at the box office. It was uh, it had a $24 million budget. It made $70 million in the U.S. and uh, $150 million, $155 million worldwide. So it was a phenomenal success considering what they made for it. And it got people talking about Stallone again. So he decided, you know, I just got Rocky. We dust off Rambo. So, like, a year later, he came out with just Rambo, Rambo 4, or whatever. Uh, same thing. Came out in 2008. Grossed, uh, I think the budget was, like, uh, oh, yeah, budget $50 million. Uh, grossed $6 million his first day. Grossed uh, $18 million his first weekend. Went on to gross $150, $113 million worldwide. So, again, another hit for Stallone. loan. So people starting talking about Stallone again and shit. So, um, and then since we brought you brought this up earlier, comes the Expendables in 2010. And this is basically, this is basically the adventures, but for 80s action heroes.
2: Well, what it, what it is really, if you look at it, um, and he didn't he didn't quite put it this way, but it's a celebration of everything that was the 1980s, early 1990s action flick.
1: Yes, and it has all the icons from that particular period in it. Yeah. Uh, Jason Statham, Jet Lee. Li- well, Jason Statham's a newer guy, but Jet Lee, Dolph Lundgren, Terry Crews, another newer guy, Mickey oh. Rourke, Randy Couture, is- uh, former, yeah, former UFC champion.
2: A lot of wrestling greats, you know, from, from that other side
1: of your world that, that you live yeah. in. Yeah, so, yeah, Randy Couture, Eric Roberts, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well,
2: so was, yeah, was, go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but this is from a, uh, an article or an interview I read that he did with uh, Cigar Aficionado. Um, he was saying, you know, he was, he was at a point where, well, even though those two films have kind of done, uh, done a lot to, to kind of bring him back um, out of those lean years, you know, there's, there's still an attitude in Hollywood that's always focusing on the, the younger guys, right? It's always focusing on the next generation, the younger, the younger, the younger. Mm-hmm. Hey, now you wouldn't know it and you, know, you could have a whole other discussion about what uh, supplements may be involved to, to, to keep him at the level that he's at but physically mm-hmm. uh, you know the man's still in at least as good a shape if not better shape than anyone else doing the action films um, yes sir marquee name that sells anywhere in the world and so he, he said that he started thinking you know since there weren't since he wasn't getting phone calls essentially just the bad film, He figured he'd write his own. Yeah. Which is done. I mean, the, the thing people forget, we kind of glossed over a little bit. Um, he got where he got as a writer and as a writer director. Um, he's had some missteps, but I mean, if you're if you're taking chances and you're working hard, you're gonna have some that aren't gonna work out well. But he's had at least as many, if not you know more, that have worked out well or or fantastic. Um, and this is one of those ones that. You know, it's not going to win an Academy Award for, for the writing. Um, and unless they can win it for months, it's probably not going to be considered for anything in the Academy. But from a commercial standpoint, from the game and money standpoint, uh, yeah. this was huge for him. And it, it spawned a brand-new franchise that he's been able to make a lot on. Um, and just one kind of fun little trivia, though, in Expendables is constantly smoking cigars. Um, mm-hmm. Always, 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 always. He's constantly lighting up where he's currently smoking one. Um, he was saying that what he chose for the film, I um, mm-hmm. um, observed for people who are unaffiliated, they're a, a 60 by four inch, small little cigar. That's why I call them that. But he said the reason he picked those for the film, is he said, is they don't produce too much smoke. He said some of the other cigars they looked at were, were too smoky. And so they
3: screwed them at the shot. Uh, it was just enough that it works
1: for him, and you know, you're saying that you know, also okay. a lot of Yeah. Uh, uh, also, like I said, since you mentioned it, uh, in terms of the box office, Uh the expendable Oh yeah, we didn't like before you cut me off. We didn't even mention the cameos from uh, uh Schwarzenegger and Stallone, uh, Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis. Basically, they had the Planet Hollywood trifecta scene in the movie. <laughs> well, they, they bring it back in later later, uh, later um, uh, incarnations of The Expendables as well. But yeah, this is the first time you see all three of them together home film. You know what yeah. So that's that was a big coup for this movie. Uh, so the movie itself took in $34 million in its first opening weekend, going straight to number one, which at that point was the biggest opening of Stallone's career. And this is, a, yeah, this is like a new movie. So, of course, it was successful. And, of course, uh, I think two years later, yeah, they came out with The Expendables 2. And this time they had most of the original people come back, but they added Jean-Claude Van Damme and Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. And it's then, like,
1: Chuck Norris
2: is really more of a cameo now because they, they portray him as a lone wolf. Yeah,
1: lone wolf McQuaid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which is all to me, by the way. Lone, M- lone wolf McQuaid. Along with all the other Chuck Norris movies. Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh and also it came out with Expendables 3. Another two years later, 2014. And this time they added Rusty Snipes, Antonio Banderas, Mel Gibson, and Harrison Ford. And it's actually uh funny enough, it was probably the lowest grossing of the franchise, but still it was popular. Now uh I mentioned that you know Rocky Balboa got people's blood pumping again for the Rocky Balboa character. Uh in 2015. Uh, a spin-off sequel was uh, pre-pitched to Sylvester Stallone. Uh, go, ahead, go ahead. Just before we move past expandables,
2: one other note. So, um, you know, we we kind of glossed over this a little bit with a lot of the the different action films he's been in, but um, Sylvester Stallone uh, as a, a leading man has has done something that few leading men do. Now, there's some that have, uh, and so that's part of why they kind of achieved the mythic status, but. He actually insists on um, a lot of practical in-camera stuff where he doing, own you stuff know, doing stunts, like for example, before him and Dolph Lundgren are actually hitting the day the way they got some of those great shots. With the they actually filmed them hitting each other in the head a few times, and then, you know, they took some and went home, and that was it for the day. In Expendables, Don't Steve Austin slams him up against the wall on his- yeah stairs during this epic you know kind of fight battle sequence um and he wasn't doing it hard enough to have it look good enough in camera and so Sylvester Stallone kept pushing kept pushing him and he kept going and going to the point where if I remember it was at least one maybe as many as three vertebrae in Sylvester Stallone's neck got cracked yeah so yeah Stone Cold Steve Austin broke (laughs) Sylvester Stallone's neck he's not 20 years old anymore I mean (laughs) he was Stone Cold Steve Austin is a gigantic man to have him throwing you around. So one thing you just have to give the man props for, in addition to all the commercial success, uh, he's absolutely put himself in the line of fire for this shit and, and literally suffered for his art multiple times. And it's just something I think is worth noting because it makes for, you know, it makes for some fantastic moments in film that um, – not many people have the guts to duplicate. You know, you are
3: exactly.
2: uh, exactly. doing that, they probably could have got away with making it look a little more intense with CGI and stuff. and probably would have come across campy. So we got to make sure. we're yeah. Props for that. That's insane.
1: Yeah. So, like I was saying, like uh, uh, a, propose, a proposed spin-off sequel to Rocky franchises was uh, given to Sylvester Stallone in the form of Creed. Now, this story. It's basically still in the Rocky franchise, still in the Rocky world. However, it focuses on Adonis Donnie Creed, the son of Rocky's former rival and former best friend, Apollo Creed. Now, like, we, another reason we wanted to uh, keep Rocky 4 to its own fame is because, in fact, Rocky 4 is the jump off to Creed. Yeah. Because, the fact, the tragic ending of, of the uh, exhibition fight between Apollo Creed and Ivan Drago in that movie is pretty much the catalyst this series of movies. So, yeah, you got this young kid who finds out his dad is this world-famous boxer, and he's, like, he's pretty much got the fighting genes in him, and he wants to be a fighter himself, but nobody supports him, so he decides to go to the one dude that knew his dad better than anybody, Rocky Balboa. And, like I said, it was written and directed by Ryan Coogler, and I love Ryan Coogler's story where uh, when he was a young kid, his dad used to watch Rocky II all the time. They had a VHS with Rocky II. And they would always watch it together. It became his favorite movie. He's like, I would love to get a chance to do a Rocky-like movie. So he started coming up with the concept for Creed. And he picked Michael B. Jordan because they had already had success together with Fruitvale Station. And, you know I'm saying, they had a good working relationship. And, of course, that relationship continued. to continue. see Black Panther, which is, again, his old podcast. Uh, but the, the people love Creed in terms of, like, how it uh, – Changed the game for the Rock franchise because the fact it was not a ripoff. It was basically, you know, saying it was this own thing. Just happens to be in the same universe. And, shit. and one people that, one thing that people really loved was the reversal of the Rocky Balboa character. He went from the, you know, rugged boxer, you know, always getting ready for the next battle, to the aged trainer. He basically went from he basically went from Rocky to Mickey, but he's Mickey to this young guy. And of course, uh, Sylvester Stallone's portrayal was, you know, lauded and people loved it and shit. And he actually got nominated for uh, both the Golden Globe, which he won, and his also he also got one for uh, he also got nominated for the Academy Award, his third time for Best Supporting Actor. So, yeah, it really changed the game again for Rocky Balboa. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, it was a huge hit. And then after that, we mentioned before, he went the Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So Sylvester Stallone is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Starhawk. Uh, and he also did another uh, franchise that's kind of under the radar compared to his other franchises, the Escape Plan franchise. Uh, where he's like, him, you know, he's like this guy who goes into prison, he breaks out or whatever shit, and you know, he counts on a Schwarzenegger character. They actually have made three movies so far. Escape Plan, Escape Plan 2, Hades, and Escape Plan 3, Devils Station. Uh, And then, of course, uh, after the success of Creed, we knocked out uh, uh, Creed Two again, bringing back the whole get down. Uh, And they also, they brought back Ivan Drago. And like I said, they uh, brought in that uh, plot line from Rocky IV to its fruition. And so instead of the fathers, it's the sons fighting now. And and again, it actually uh, was another huge success, another critical success. And they're actually working on a Creed 3 now. But the thing about Creed 2 is they left Rocky's position kind of ambiguous. They're not sure if uh, Rocky's coming back for Creed 3. Because of fact they kind of gave him a caveat in his storyline. Uh, so we'll see if that actually works out. And actually, Mr. Stallone actually has a few movies uh, on deck, uh, aside from the uh, Rock, last blood that we mentioned. we were going to go over that shit. Uh, but he's actually planning a movie on uh, doing. Uh, he's do, planning on doing a movie about Jack Johnson, the first black heavyweight champion. He actually completed a movie called Samaritan right before this COVID nineteen shit hit. It's basically like it's supposed to be a dark superhero movie. I saw some stills of it. He like it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, he wants to do a, a adaptation of the novel Ghost, My Thirty Years as an FBI Agent by Michael McGowan, uh, about Michael McGowan's career of over fifty. Undercover missions for the FBI. Uh, he also wants to do a black uh, black ops movie. Uh, a couple of things in uh, development, but yeah, that's pretty much Mr. Stallone's career up to now.
2: I so. say of, uh, of everything that that's announced, that's on deck. The one I'm most excited for uh, is definitely the Jack Johnson pick. Yeah, depending on yeah. casting and where he goes with it. I mean, because I, I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a big history buff. I love love reading bios and that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. probably one of the most interesting boxers to have ever lived i mean just in terms of setting aside some of the historical aspects and things that you can get into that are really interesting on the human story um mm-hmm. he he was he was he was an absolute beast in the ring man he was he was unbeatable and when he finally uh did end up losing again if you found all this history uh, he didn't lose because uh, somebody beat him. He lo- He lost because he decided he was done. He quit. And it wouldn't let him just walk away. He had to have a last fight um, because he had to be in the first black heavyweight boxer. I mean, just to give people kind of an idea, if you don't know Jack Johnson's story, uh, he became the heavyweight champ of the world basically through, through something that almost amounts to uh, I guess we call it right. A chance, right, and a chance, a at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, black guys and white guys wanted to fight. Um, the only real heavyweight champ in the world had to be a white guy, and he had an opportunity uh, to, to fight. And when he won, um, it set people off. You, you got to remember, this is a point in time in America where the, the Klan uh, would have a rally in Washington D.C. and they would do a march down towards the mall and their little get-ups and everything, you know, hoods pulled back because they're proud white men and that whole thing. But he won. Um, you know, people have always heard that he's the great white hope, right? That's what mm-hmm. that is. Because after he won, there's this obsession, specifically in the sports world and in the boxing world, about who's going to be the white guy to take back the uh, heavyweight champion world from that. Um, that pretty dangerous to be uh, to be a black man in America be great at something did not give a shit. Um, you may or may not have heard of the Mann Act. Um, this is uh, something that is horrible. I don't know if they've ever repealed it from the books or not, but it was a law that basically said it was illegal to move people across, as a federal law, move people across state lines for immoral acts. And they actually um, went after him and prosecuted him on it because at the time, he had a, a for, for white women specifically, that was, that was his uh, personal preference. And so he dated exclusively white women, and they went after him because he took one of his girlfriends from one state to outside and tried to mess with them. The personal side of, sto- of the story, the things that he ever went, simply for being a black guy who was the best boxer in the world, hands down, no questions asked, is insane. There's, a, there's actually, there's a, a documentary I watched about him to Paul Unforgivable blackness that Ken Burns did. You ever seen that?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, I have. Dude. If you have anyone who's listening, if you haven't seen it, look that shit up and watch it right now. You're gonna be like, "Holy crap!" Talk about a guy who truly didn't give a shit. And what was great about him too was, you know, he he from what I could see and what I found, he was never the guy who stood up and went out. He, he wasn't gonna be the Malcolm X, or gonna be uh, lead some marches or I mean that wasn't that wasn't his back. He was a boxer, and that was it. And his, his attitude about all the racist crap he had to deal with was so fantastic. He just looked at it and was like, that's your problem. It ain't my problem. I'm just living my life.
3: Gotcha.
2: Uh, the, the sad thing is, is that, unfortunately, in, in some ways, they finally made this problem, which uh, you know, is kind of bad and disgusting. But by the same token, the problem I that, to me, is yeah generation when he came to boxing, and uh, nobody could come close to touch it. It's a fantastic story. So I'm really excited
1: to see what uh, what Stallone and company is going to do with that. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and close this thing out with a few facts about Mr. Stallone, just random ones, just to kind of, like, uh, get a caveat on uh, the whole get down. So uh, we mentioned his name before, Michael Gardenzio, Michael Silvestro Gardenzio Stallone. He hates his first name and prefers to be called Silvestro sly uh he actually uh <laughs> i love this uh he actually produced a pilot for uh, a cbs called father lefty uh uh yeah it was a series pilot um the star danny nucci as a offbeat uh, miami priest it actually aired on nbc and uh cbs excuse me in 2002 but it never picked up a series um he was actually uh yeah yeah okay so uh I actually found the name that he was try- that the mom was trying to name him. She was trying to name him after Tyrone Power, the old film star. So she wanted to, she so if, if mom had got her way, he would have been called Tyrone Stone. That would have been
3: interesting.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I mentioned earlier he went to a bunch of different high schools. Uh, and I had to travel around because of his family. Now, one of the high schools he went to was Montgomery Blair High School in Silver Springs, Maryland, and his classmates were Goldie Hahn and Ben Stein. <laughs> that's that's a weird class picture right there. I, 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 I always wanted like, to, like, the Ben Stein try to hit on Goldie. I would be disappointed in him if he didn't at least try. Exactly. Uh, uh, in terms of roles he turned down, he actually turned down Patrick Swayze's role in Next of Ken. He turned down uh, John Boyd's role in Coming Home. He turned down uh, when they were doing the Search for Superman. <laughs> yeah, he got turned down for that. Yeah, he really wanted it. Uh, he's uh, Actually, Mr. Stallone himself is a staunch Republican. Uh, He's basically been, you know, at the inaugurations of basically most of the Republican presidents, with the exception of Donald Trump, basically since, like, since he started acting. Uh, He was there for Clinton. I mean, he was there for, excuse me, he was there for Reagan. He was there for both Bushes in terms of their inaugurations. Uh, He supported Arnold Schwarzenegger, who went as a Republican when he um, ran for governor of the state of California. In 2004, he actually had his own nutrition company, InStone, which produced uh, protein pudding, Testosterone boosters, energy boosters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Actually, he had his own magazine at one point, Sly Magazine, which uh, actually the first episode, the first issue came out March 8, thousand five, Apparently, apparently didn't last long. He was on the cover of every magazine and most of the articles. He actually did most of the articles and interviews. So, uh, so yeah, it didn't last long. Uh, he actually wrote a book in two thousand five, Sly Moves: My Proven Program to Lose Weight, Build Strength, Gain Willpower, and Live Your Dream. Uh, he is actually listed as one of the top heroes of all time by the AFI Film Institute. He came seventh behind uh, Gregory Peck, Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, Humphrey Bogart, Gary Cooper, and Joey Foster. Uh, I think uh, of, of the basically all the different act, the different characters each of those actors play. I know for a fact uh, Gregory Peck was picked as uh, for Atticus Finch from To Kill yeah. Harrison Ford picked as Indiana Jones, Sean Connery as James Bond, Humphrey Bogart as I think is uh, Rick in Casablanca, Gary Cooper as uh, you know, Marshall Dillon, and Jody Foster as Agent, Agent Sterling Agent Starling Yeah. So, did I you, think they picked.
3: Go ahead. I was going to ask,
2: just in terms of we're talking about trivia for a second, I, I, I might have missed it, but did you when we were talking about his early years, did, how much did you talk about AFI? Did you talk about how that went for him?
1: Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't really
2: get into it that much. So one one of the interesting things um, people might not know if they've never they don't know anyone in AFI or if they've never really researched it. So AFI is a is a competitive program. So once you're in it, um, you're guaranteed to essentially stay in it to get to make a to make a film. So like you go to if you go to USC, you go to Chapman, you go to NYU, um, you go to UCLA. One of those that that have kind of these storied film programs. The way it works is once you get in, as long as you pass your classes they expect you to make your films and so AFI being a graduate school uh, just like you again once one of those other universities you make a thesis project film well AFI is a competitive program um, as they go and I can't remember exactly how often but um, they, they essentially pull through their ranks so as it goes they are dropping folks for whatever reasons they go and um, he's actually one of there's quite a few people who've been uh, dropped from AFI, but he's the one who got dropped from AFI, didn't essentially complete the program with the thesis project, then went on to massive success, fame, and wealth, uh, which I think is kind of an interesting thing to keep in mind, especially for any of our listeners, right? when he was uh, younger in the film program, hey, you know, just because you get a setback like that, um doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean end in the road. In fact, most folks that have had that, it's almost like, uh, was, that, um, was that Michael Jordan one that was out? I was talking about when I cut from the 10th grade basketball team.
4: Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I
2: decide, yeah. decide it's over. My life's over. I quit, you know, since since I got cut. Or you can just work harder than everyone else. He's a work harder than everyone else guy.
1: Yeah, the last dance, I think that's yeah. what you're Last yeah, that was it. Yeah. All right, so uh, he actually, like I mentioned before, he auditioned for a small apartment and in uh, Godfather, didn't get it. He was actually at one point. He actually had his own boxing promotion company, Tiger Eye uh, Promotions, in 1980. I think you know they. I think they only produced one fight. It was an Aaron Pryor boxing match. Uh, He and Dolly Parton actually got their stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame on the same day, June 14, 1984, because they were doing a movie, Rhinestone at the time together. Uh, His uh, uh, Stallone's performance as Rocky Balboa actually is ranked. uh, number four in AFI's 100 Most Inspiring Movies of All Time. Um, yeah. Uh, his, also, his performance as Rocky Balboa is uh, number 64 of Premier Magazine's 100 Greatest Movie Characters of All Time. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, 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 There's a bunch of shit here, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah, he was offered the role of Stuntman Mike in Death Proof by Quentin Tarantino when he turned it down. And, of course, that oh, went. It I love Kurt Russell in that role. I was say that went to his uh tango and cash co-star, Kurt Russell.
2: Yeah, that would have been would've been a very different film with him in that role. I mean he would have been good, but
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And also uh, since we talked about the expendables, uh he actually gives an origin story as to why he got the huge tattoo on his chest. Uh at one point I mentioned before he was a uh, uh friends with Franco Colombo, a uh, former Mr. Uwe, uh, former Mr. Olympia bodybuilder type guy, uh who was one of Schwarzenegger's closest friends. Uh, during the time they are actually having a bench pressing contest, uh, just to kind of like you know be a man shit, he actually just tore one of his pecs and had to get 160 stitches on it, and that's the reason why most of, uh, one half of his chest is more veiny than the other. And he's basically the part that's really fucked up. He covered with the tattoo.
2: You know, I mean, it's not a bad idea. I've heard a lot of a lot of guys end up going into doing the tattoo thing to cover over scars.
1: Yeah, so. Yeah, that's how he had to do that shit. Uh, he actually turned down oh he turned down a couple good roles. He turned down Michael Douglas's role in Fail Attraction and Basic Instinct. So he turned down both roles. He turned down Dudley Moore's role in Arthur. Uh he turned down Richard he he turned down three Richard Gere roles. Uh, American Gigolo, an officer and a gentleman, and pretty woman. Okay, so so
2: far everything he's turned down was a really good call for him to turn down.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> a, uh, I like I yeah. I love Stallone. There's a lot of stuff that he does great and he definitely's got his age, but I just I can't see how those movies would have worked with, with him in the roles that he turned out.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh this is an ironic one. Uh before he actually filmed the movie Rocky, he actually played a bit part as a character named Rocky on the show Police Story. Hmm. Yeah. So, just a great little piece of irony there. Uh, He actually is the most nominated Razzie for the Razzies. He's the most nominated actor of all time. (laughs) That's
2: fucked up. But you you know this as an actor and everything, right? I mean, you don't take... Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: He's taken a lot of chances, and he's made off like a bandit
1: because of it. Yes, he has, actually, yeah. Uh, He is the only Hollywood star to have uh, box office hits in each of the five, last five uh, successive decades, from the 70s to now. So he he's the only one that has that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, a, at one point, they were trying to do a remake of Streetcar Named Desire. Uh, he turned that down. Uh, apparently, they did it in 84, and uh, it went to Treat Williams. You know what,
3: though, though, though? That one, maybe. Yeah. So. He could have he
1: yeah, you yeah, know, because uh, well, early in his career, they kept uh, pre- uh, comparing him to Brando, uh, and, and actually, Rocky's the only movie where he freaking you know had that uh, stigma. A- everything else since then, he never reached that level of terms of, of co- comparison again. So, um, I
4: think it would have been cool. Yeah, it could have done it.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, he actually uh, holds the record for the longest hiatus between Academy Award nominations. He was nominated for Rocky in 1976 and Rock- nominated for Creed in
3: 2015. But again, he doesn't quit.
1: Well, he does not. He kept going so uh, and it uh, also
3: proves that, well, an
2: Academy Award is nice. Um, <laughs> the box office is what ensures your longevity, and he has done extraordinarily well in the box office, so whether or not he gets the uh, uh,
1: the nod and the accreditation that he's due from the academy, and that is definitely successful. Yes, sir. Also, uh, after uh, Sylvester Stallone's request, he actually uh, went back to the University of Miami because he quit the school before he actually had the credits to graduate. So he decided to use his acting and life experiences to be accepted in exchange for the remaining credits, and he was actually granted. A bachelor's in fine arts from the uh, president of the University of Miami in 1999. So he has an honorary degree. Uh, and he turned down John Travolta's part in Face Off. He also turned down uh, the part to direct and star in uh, the remake of Death Wish that they eventually made with Bruce Willis. He turned it down and backed out due to creative differences. Uh, he turned down so, uh, he turned down John Claude Van Damme's role in Sudden Death because he didn't like the quality of the script. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he turned down Harrison Ford's role in Witness, good call. Yeah. Uh, he, turned down, he turned down Sam Jackson's role in, R- in Rules of Engagement, also a good call. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's see. He was also considered for the lead in They Live, Roddy Piper.
4: No, 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 I'm sorry. I, 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 he, no. Roddy Piper, All
1: right.
4: Yeah, yeah, Roddy Piper.
1: He turned down Bruce Willis's roles in both Die Hard and Pulp Fiction. And he's also, uh, he also has four different characters in recurring roles, Rocky Balboa, John Rambo, Ray Breslin in the Escape Plan movies, and Barney Ross from the Expendables movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is basically all I have for Mr. Sylvester Stallone. And like, I would have had more, but like I said, I forgot my goddamn notes. And then we, uh, we had all these technical difficulties. pissed me Uh <laughs> Yeah, but uh, like I said, I actually it was yeah a deep
3: dive.
1: Yeah, it was a deep dive, and what I think the real thing that I really enjoyed about this whole get down. Like I said I love Mr. Sloan, but I think I just happy the fact that we actually got to do a podcast. I actually missed it. So,
2: yeah. Well, yeah, so. for, for uh, listening, we got uh, we got a few more really good deep dives coming up as soon as this COVID thing breaks. Uh, we've got some good watch-alongs on deck, uh, so we're going to have some fun for you there. But um, I, I love doing these deep dives, especially when we get into uh, specific careers of different actors or directors. Um, I feel like there's a whole new uh, appreciation that I always have after we get done with them, when you really stand back and look at what some of these folks have accomplished. And uh, you know, Hopefully, you'll uh, we'll find it half as inspiring as we do to,
3: to go out and create your own thing and have some fun.
1: All right, folks, so I'm going to go ahead and announce it now. Next week, we're going to try to do another deep dive again. Uh, This time, uh, we're going to test out the audio again, make sure everything's good to go. And uh, we're going to do a deep dive on Mr. Chris Farley. And if everything is good to go in terms of the audio on my end anyway, uh, we're going to do probably one of the bigger episodes that we've done so far. We're going to do a deep dive, but this is going to be a group setting. We're going to have some guests, and we're going to do a deep dive into Chappelle's show in two weeks. But the next week is going to be Mr. Chris Farley. So look forward to that, folks. Uh, like I said, I always love doing this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as we enjoyed doing it. Uh, until next time, uh, this has been Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. i AJ. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Dropping That Culture. Dropping That Culture.
0: Dropping That Culture.
1: Dropping That Culture.
0: Dropping that Culture. Dropping that culture. Dropping that coast. Dropping that coach.
3: Dropping that coach. Dropping that